I'm not cool enough to know what the kids use for bad these days. So hello and welcome to Buffalo Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions of all things NFL. Uh, it might be early in the season, we've been hit with the injury bug already. So hey, we got Connor here, we got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. So Ronan, how's all down in Cork with yourself? Not too bad, quite enough, just tipping away through September. Enjoying the football while it's on, enjoying the Rugby World Cup. It's keeping me pretty busy uh, on the sports front. Uh, but other than that, uh, just relaxing, kind of doing nothing too exciting at the moment. Very good. And how about yourself, Sean? How's Waterford? Uh, it was fine, yeah. It was quite enough weekends. My wife Sarah was on call for most of it. But we did go, we did see a kind of a fun Shakespeare play thing where they, it was Twelfth Night, where they changed venue like eight times. It was like, you basically just went in a circle around this square thing. But it was it was kind of fun. Uh, it was like a local production uh, thing. So that was a thing to do. And yeah, so we did very it. fun. Uh, very nice. Yeah. And you're getting yourself... It's, it, Waterford has this kind of... It, it, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the pod. It does kind of have a, have a bit of an arts culture scene thing or attempts to. So they do interesting stuff like that. Very cool. And you're getting yourself all, all readied up for holidays then after that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We're going to Barcelona next week. But uh, via Atlone, we have to drop the cat and say hello to the nieces and... So you go to the, the cultural capital and then you travel to Spain. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. The, the, the centre of Ireland and definitely the most important place. Very good. Uh, uh, it's uh, not a place to abandon. Barcelona, is it? <laughs> yeah, very good. So I had, uh, had a couple of games of uh, flag football over the weekend with the Dublin City Wolves. We are currently top of our division, undefeated. We took out the Leash Labs who were the other undefeated team left over. So uh, very, very good performances all round. Although it was a bit of a cold day to be outside for six hours. So uh, I was a bit frozen to the bone by the time we got home. Um, but yeah, no, other than that, nothing too wild or crazy. I've uh, I've started trying to like plan bits and pieces for... Was, we're off to London in two weeks' time. But uh, <laughs> it turns out you kind of forget how big London is. You go, oh, I wonder what restaurants are there. All of them. Like, I don't know what bars are there. All of them. So we'll have to have a wee chat and uh, pick a few bits and pieces to get up to when we're there. As soon as we'll fly in and have a look at some of the bits from around the league this week. So we'll start in Controversy Corner. The NFL has filed grievances with the NFL Players Association, the NFLPA, regarding claims that the union has encouraged running backs to consider feigning or exaggerating injuries. This obviously comes against the backdrop of running backs not being paid. We'll talk about some of the injury stuff in a little bit, but essentially a lot of running backs are being used heavily by the team and valued highly when it comes to trades but they're not getting paid particularly well their average salary has dropped significantly their tag value has dropped and many of them are not getting the large second contracts that you'd see in other positions so this was apparently or allegedly uh, suggested to them by the players association representatives to um get hurt or feign that their injuries are a bit more significant to try and have some leverage in the negotiations and the nfl is obviously looking to get all legal remedy to stop this so cease and desists and whatnots against them um it's a shitty spot for the running backs but like i kind of see why the nfl would be doing this like it like they're a business it kind of makes sense i suppose 
Yeah, and this all goes back to that famous Zoom call, which the running backs got together and then realized they were fucked and signed their contracts uh, anyway. Uh, so, you know, obviously this uh, advice didn't work and the one player who may or may not have actually taken it up, Jonathan Taylor, it definitely didn't work in his case considering it uh, nearly got him placed on the NFI list uh, and basically completely screwed in his negotiations. Uh, but yeah, like it's just a case where, look, uh, none of the, the people from the NFLPA said literally, hey, just fake injuries. They kind of just said, well, like, look, you have injuries and they're stopping you from practicing. So perhaps, you know, even if you could play, maybe you shouldn't play, you know, just look after your own health, that type of language. But the NFL obviously considers that to be significant enough or to be, you know, adjacent enough to saying them, telling them to exaggerate injuries. Um, to be a violation of the, uh, the the CBA, and obviously they're going to take that to an adjudicator uh, and an ar- sorry to arbitrator and see what they say. And I don't think anything serious will come out of this, but it's a, it's basically a shot across the bow uh, to basically shut that shit up and don't be telling the players to do anything except for play for us unless they are medically uh, told not to. Yeah, and even then, that's not necessarily when they're going to want to stop them, as we'll maybe talk about in one of the games that happened this weekend. Uh, we had some bits of movements on player contracts. Kansas City have extended Patrick Mahomes. Well, really, what they've done is restructured his existing 10-year deal. So the next four years of it are now going to be $210 million, and all of that's going to be guaranteed. Um, so this will bring him... He's not up at the top of the payment list, but he's up kind of in the top five now uh, for the next four years. This is kind of the structure of the contract that they had, that it would just be revisited moved around uh we haven't gotten exact details but i imagine what this does is shift a load of this to make a bit of cap room for them in the next year or two uh possibly even this year depending on what the plans at the hq are for movements but i know that as of last week they wouldn't have had enough money left on the cap to extend slash tag chris jones as it stood so things like that are 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 now going to be on the table as well as as other kind of movements so this is you know, not not a major shift. It means that Mahomes gets a little bit more money in the next four years and probably that the team has a little bit more cap manoeuvrability. Yeah, obviously with the, the recent yeah, if, summer... What's the, Sean, go ahead. Yeah, no, if, if it opens up the cap for them, all good. I mean, this, this kind of financial chicanery is, is always very difficult to understand. Uh, the, the big question, I guess, is the Chiefs in terms of the cap and if they found a way to use this to expand the cap, then it's all good uh, and smart on, on behalf of the Chiefs. Yeah, and obviously, you know, the going rate now is in that kind of 50 to 55 million. That's kind of borrowed to Hertz range, and this basically puts them squarely there. I think I'm not expecting too many big extensions coming down the line. There's no one really lined up. Lawrence is perhaps the next one. Uh, so I think that market setting will stick at least for a year or two. And yeah, the, the idea is after the four years are complete that they'll restructure again and do probably something similar. So I think that kind of predictability for the player and the team both makes sense. And given it's Patrick Mahomes, he's worth every penny. Yeah, I think it's probably Lawrence and two are probably the next two to come up would be my guess. But uh, yeah, uh, Minnesota signed offensive lineman Dalton Reisner to try and bolster their offensive line core. Uh, they've been having a bit of struggles as I think we'll be talking about later on. Or maybe you will fit in the dump off. Uh, I'll have to take a look at that lineup for a bit. But Makes sense. They just need a bit of depth on the line. Uh, not a bad player to pick up. We have had, as I said at the top of the show, a lot of injuries this week. Uh, I'm playing hurt myself. I have a uh, a sore tooth that I'm going to go see the dentist about tomorrow, but I'm going to tough it out unlike some of these people. Uh, <laughs> uh, Cleveland running back Nick Chubb has 
essentially torn his leg off and he's gone for the season. He had a horrendous leg injury uh, in the game last night. So I believe it was uh, MCL. The, the, the belief is that it's MCL, PCL and uh, a few other bits like that. Uh, this is, I believe, on the same leg that he completely exploded in college and had to get reconstructed. Uh, so that is not a good thing. At least he kind of got his money already in the offseason. But uh, it's a horrendous injury he's gone for the season. Detroit have lost a bunch of players. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnton, Torres pectoral muscles. He's likely gone for the season. Their offensive lineman, Vitae, has done his knee and he's gone for one to four weeks. Uh, James Houston, their edge rusher, has injured his ankle and he's out for six to eight weeks. David Montgomery has hurt his thigh and he's day-to-day. Carolina linebacker Shaq Thompson has injured his ankle, possibly gone for the season, but they're hoping to maybe get him back later on. JC Horn, hamstring injury. He's gone to IR, so he's gone for at least four weeks, but they expect that might be eight weeks. And Philadelphia defensive back Avante Maddox has torn his pectoral and is likely gone for the season. Uh, these are some big ones. I think we'll probably focus mostly on the Cleveland and Detroit injuries here. So Cleveland obviously run a lot of their offense through this running back. They did get good coverage. Uh, from the backup during the game but this is you know this is what they based a lot of their plans for the season behind and Nick Chubb is gone for the season and you'd wonder coming back from an injury like that in Detroit this is just a lot of people all at once defensive backfield losing a starter offensive line injuries edge rushers and you even saw like as much as we said Gibbs needed to get more touches you saw the difference in the game this weekend with him being with Montgomery being out and them not having their kind of down the middle vertical kind of north south runner um it's it's a tough one for Detroit for Detroit oh certainly I mean it's when we talk about the game is kind of the problems they may have but one of the things they do seem to have is, is an accumulation of injuries as well as these four guys obviously also Aiden Hutchinson and Amon Ra went down with minor injuries during the game itself so it feels like it's all kind of accumulating uh, on top of them I mean Gardner Johnson he really offers a lot to the to the secondary so his loss is going to be a big one um the Montgomery thing as you said is going to be interesting if if it does I mean it's only day to day so it's quite possible he's back next week but if it it might push them to shift towards Gibbs more. I think almost everyone who watches the Lions is like, why aren't they giving more touches uh, to Gibbs? Um, but they, I think their best is a one-two combo, so they're going to have to work mm. that bounce out as, this, as the season goes on. I think, I think in particular for pass protection, Montgomery knows his stuff a lot better than Gibbs at the moment, and that's that's one of the things he adds. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a rookie. You've got to be careful with rookies in, in all ways in terms of the experience and, and the, the general play to, to bring them in slowly. So I, it certainly makes sense, but um, I imagine that's going to have change as the season goes on. But, yeah, I mean, the Lions are... They're, they're a team with a lot of potential, but stuff like this is going to derail them because they're they're not elite elite. Uh, and as as we see, they are capable of getting into games where, against middling teams where they can lose. And loss of talent like this is only going to hurt them in, in terms of that. So uh, yeah, this this line scene, season feel like it's going to be quite up and down as things go, and hopefully ends up more up than down. Yeah, and look, Nick Chubb is a huge loss for the Cleveland Browns. Like he's basically been the linchpin of their offense throughout all of this kind of bad quarterback play. And the quarterback play is not the reason why Cleveland are playing in any way good um, over the last uh, while. I think Deshaun Watson has improved a little bit this season, but he's still playing at a, let's say, a middling level at best. And look, Jerome Ford had a really good cameo appearance against Pittsburgh, but you imagine that he just can't provide that kind of consistent offense that Chubb was. He was just so safe in terms of getting you those five, six, seven, eight yard rushes, as well as also being an explosive player, that basically there's very few running backs left who can just 
be that bell cow. Um, so you'd wonder how Cleveland will have to adjust their offense and maybe put more in Watson's arms and see what he can do out there. But uh, I think everyone loves Nick Chubb. He was one of the few reasons why you might still be tempted to at least support the Browns a little bit. And without him, they're just more irredeemable than they already were. Um, so unless their defense is truly at an elite level, and it has looked pretty spicy the first couple of weeks, then it's hard to see Cleveland keeping up over the course of the season in such a competitive AFC. As for just these other ones, just to mention Shaq Thompson, really bad for him. He had a really good season last year, now done, and obviously uh, he obviously that could be a problem as he goes forward in his career. And JC Horn is another young player for Carolina they were hoping to build their defense around. So I think for Carolina, they're already a team that's looking probably in the bottom, you know, 10th or so of the league, the bottom five teams or so. They may already be looking towards the draft in terms of what they might get if they uh, can trade away because there's another quarterback available or but maybe looking um, at Marvin. They don't, they don't have a first round pick, right? Oh yeah, sorry, you're right. Uh, so there's nothing basically for them. Yeah, so they get um, nothing out of us. Um, so it's just a situation where Carolina, they're a young team. You would like to see these young players kind of come together, but uh, obviously not. And Avante Addicts is an important role player for Philadelphia, but I imagine they can survive uh, mostly without him. Yeah, let's go through a few of the other injuries. Buda Baker, defensive back of Arizona, is hurt his hamstring. He's IR'd to a minimum of four weeks. Saquon Barkley hurt his ankle in the game that we'll talk about in a bit. He's out for one to four weeks. He'll definitely miss the upcoming Thursday night football. Green Bay lost offensive lineman uh, Eglund Jenkins to a knee injury two to six weeks. And David Bakhtiari has injured his knee in his week to week. There's a very unusual story we might talk about about him now possibly discussing not playing on turf and only playing on grass pitches, which would mean only playing home games and uh, away games where it's grass pitches. Indianapolis quarterback Anthony Richardson is uh, in the concussion protocol and he's week to week. Uh, interestingly enough in that one, he had to flag himself for it their own staff didn't call it and offensive lineman Ryan Kelly has a concussion as well and he's week to week Las Vegas wide receiver Devontae Adams concussion week to week Jalen Waddle wide receiver Miami concussion week to week and Joe Burrow has tweaked his calf again and he's gone back to week to week so a lot of big name players here like Joe Burrow Jalen Waddle Devontae Adams Anthony Richardson like Saquon Barkley these are all like big name players and then even the other ones Buda Baker, David Bakhtiari and so they're well known albeit on the defensive side so less less well known to the casual fan but like it's a lot of lot of people there you'd hope that you know these are minimal length of time injuries but like you know these will have serious impacts on all the teams well certainly if you think about something like Anthony Richardson who I mean his style of play seems like it's going to incur these kind of injuries regularly and You'd be worried that he's doing like a, a fast run through of a of, of a Cam Newton style career where he's just going to end up completely washed out after about two years because you know he's getting no protection and there has been criticism of the Colts using Richardson so uh, so much uh, and in so many kind of open run plays so early in his career rather than maybe trying to get him used to the NFL you know, ease him in so that when he does break out these big runs he can you know protect himself better it, mm. i i would be worried about how well the colts are managing their supposedly you know each franchise talent that they wanted to have for at least a decade i mean it's not like the Colts have any history of screwing up uh, franchise quarterbacks uh, by not protecting <laughs> them um in, in terms of obviously the joe burrow thing is yeah i mean the the bengals season looks like it's collapsing they're oh and two burrow hasn't looked at all uh, at the level we've seen him before, and you got to point to the injury for that, and for him to be out again for maybe another couple of weeks is, I mean, they could be out. They certainly look like they could fall out of division contention if they, you know, drop a few more games behind the Ravens. Mm. 
Um, and yeah, I'd be worried about the Bengals being, they, they don't look as good on a number of levels that we can talk about, but uh, certainly Burrow being, you know, comprehensive injured isn't, isn't great. Uh, and you know, Devontae, I mean, the Raiders don't have an offense without Devontae Adams, so uh, good luck with that. Uh, yeah, a, a lot of players who are here are kind of integral to their team, and it's certainly going to change how a lot of teams have to play in it. Next yeah. Uh, the NFL has also decided yeah, to like... oh, go on ahead there. No, I was just going to say, you, you referenced the Bakhtiari uh, report or rumour. Uh, he's Obviously, he said nothing himself and the team denies it completely. They just said he has an injury, so he didn't play. Um, but obviously, there has been a lot of discussion over the last week about the turf versus grass situation uh, related to the Aaron Rodgers injury. Um, and there's a lot of players in the NFLPA coming out and saying, like, why are we playing on turf? Uh, when they believe that it's much more dangerous from players. Players obviously have the most, I suppose, lived experience of actually the comparisons of the two. Very unhappy about it. And they've referenced that a lot of these stadiums in the NFL are going to be used for the World Cup uh, very soon. And they're all going to be grass. They're even the ones that are like fully domed and they're going to do that properly. Um, and they're wondering, why can't you do that for that for, for us in the NFL, basically? Know, the NFL uh, is very cash-strapped. It doesn't make much money, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jerry Jerry Jones is already coming out and basically defending them and saying, hey, uh, you know, we got to do what we got to do, you know? It's, it's perfectly safe. We have unbiased studies saying that it's crying, and don't worry about it, basically. Jerry Jones um, University has done the following scientific yeah, research. I... I can see the the Monty Burns things. As you can see, this place is just falling apart. Just the <laughs> riches fall down from the ceiling. Uh, yeah, yeah. But if if back if this report about Bakhtiari does end up being confirmed, I doubt it'll be confirmed during the season. But you know, it's one of those things. You you know, height of summer, silly season. It comes out when he's released by Green Bay or something like that. Um, it will continue to kind of be there in the background. It's been in the background for many years now. But I think uh, you know some of these injuries might uh, give some weight to that so keep an eye on it i don't think they'll change because obviously i assume there's financial or other reasons why the nfl goes that way uh the ownership level but um the players will probably continue to to fight for it um whether they prioritize enough during cba and ever get to happen probably not yeah and uh, another bit of news from around the league the nfl has decided to expand the practice squad to allow every team to have one international player per team as an extra player on the practice squad so this will obviously provide a route in for additional players who are coming from the international pathways program uh we've seen a number of players make it onto actual squads from this a couple of very big success stories uh we're actually seeing an increase in the number of like you know non-american uh, footballers coming in converting from other sports and stuff so it's uh, pretty cool to see so hopefully we'll see a few more people coming through that route um like realistically no massive no massive issue here i don't like i frankly don't know why they don't try some more things like this because practice squads are useful uh get a bit more prep yeah. time given we don't have a feeder league properly at the moment no matter how hard they try with the usfl and the xfl that like i would completely agree like, i think the the reforms they've made to the practice squad over the last couple of years allowing veterans to be there expanding the size of it now allowing an international player for every single team i think that's what the practice squad should do as you said there is no feeder league there's nothing going on for all these you know incredibly talented players who want to play american football at the highest level and these are the kind of pathways that guys who are undrafted free agents who are coming from abroad can give them an opportunity and obviously lots of them won't make it but you know, having those pathways is really important to giving them that chance rather than like scuffling around in the CFL uh, for, for a load of time and not going anywhere. Yeah, and it's very hard to convert <laughs> from meters to yards whenever you're coming back from the <laughs> CFL. Um, but I suppose that's enough talk of the CFL. Let's talk about the NFL and let's have a look at the games from last week. 
So first up, uh, now I don't know, Ronan, if you've just been storing it up since the news section that uh, Sean called your team mid, uh, but we can discuss it here now. Uh, Seattle at Detroit, 37-31 to in overtime. Uh, Lockett showed his kind of veteran presence in this one, 59 yards, two touchdowns, uh, a particularly big pass interference penalty that he drew as well to get the uh, to get the overtime win for them in a back-and-forth game where Gino looked a little bit more like the Gino from the start of last year, 328 yards two touchdowns uh he had a very like he was clean apart from one sack where he decided to just go running into the backfield he didn't he wanted to run some time off the clock but they were at a two-minute warning anyway so like he didn't he saved about two he took about two extra seconds off the clock and lost about 17 yards by running himself backwards which was just a little bit weird uh but it was then nullified uh, well you know the seahawks have a pro bowl punter so maybe he was relying on that giving him some extra work yeah, like I'm sorry, I I would probably take two more seconds on the clock and 17 more yards on my field position myself, but that's just that's just me. Uh, <laughs> I'm a bit outside the box on that one. Uh, Jared Goff had a decent game as well, 323 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Like mostly solid work. The uh, offensive line injuries kind of started to cost him towards the back end. He came very close. I think he was 20 passes away from having the longest streak of uh, interception-free passes, but then. He didn't quite make it. I think he needed 40 in this game, and he did this on his 22nd or 23rd pass. Um, but yeah, Abon Ross and Brandon had a... Abon Ross, I had a nice kind of 100-yard game and stuff as well. The, the Detroit Lions looked tasty, but we discussed earlier in the news, like, they took a lot of injuries. Seattle, I personally, I'm quite high on Seattle coming out of this game. Yes, there was injuries to the Detroit team, and they were, and they were able to, you know, kind of exploit those a little bit. But this looks like kind of what the type of team that that Pete Carroll wants to build. I think the defense wasn't quite playing up to the level that you'd like to see it playing up to, but this was, as we said, like probably before the injuries, the top offensive line in the league. So maybe that was what was holding them at bay, but to stay in a game against a real contender, put up these kind of points, get this kind of performance in overtime. Uh, it must, must make you feel like you're not mid at all fits. Well, one and one is certainly a lot better than zero and two. And, you know, one could argue, you know, mid is a poor reference point for bad since it would imply middle. But anyway, uh, we won't get into arguments with the kids about their lingo. Shut up, um, stats boy. <laughs> um, to, to be fair, I want to clarify. I did mean that they are like a middling team, as in they are in the middle uh, of the pack. So oh, it wasn't actually, I wasn't saying they were bad. I'm not that, I'm not cool enough to know what the kids use for bad these days. <laughs> All of this un, un, un <laughs> unexpected hate that was not hate at all. It was just slight disappointment. Sean, uh, Sean flashing back and realising he's insulted all of his younger nieces and nephews. Um, anyway, uh, in terms of the actual game, I thought it was a very interesting game, very much back and forth. Like I think Detroit definitely had the advantage early on in this game. Uh, I kind of looked like, you know, I was kind of a little bit worried about this game, especially when Seattle missed the field goal towards the uh, end of the half. But I think what you saw in the second half in particular um, was that the mistakes uh, were cut out by Seattle, except for, as you said, the stupid run around at the end before the two-minute warning at the end of the game. And that Detroit, with the slow accrual of all of these injuries, obviously David Montgomery got injured, Vitae got injured, uh, Taylor Dicker actually missed this game as well, their right tackle. Um, so, like, they were just accruing these injuries on both sides of the ball. And you could just see that because they're a team built to be, like, solid in all aspects. They're not a team of superstars. They're a team of, like, the, the team is the star, as it were, because they're so stacked in terms of having good players at all 
all positions but even they with all of these hits were suddenly you know maybe taking that step or one or two down where Seattle could see that they could get at them a little bit more on both sides of the ball I think what you saw from Seattle was a very strong adjustment to the fact that you know last week they lost uh, both of their starting tackles Abe Lucas and the and um, the other tackle um and you basically had a situation here where they decided to go very tight end heavy. So it was not shocking to see them play two tight ends, three tight ends. And in terms of nullifying Detroit's biggest strength, which is their defensive line in terms of their edge rushers. So, of course, James Houston got injured. So that meant there was more pressure uh, on the other edge rushers to get it done. Um, I think that meant that, you know, that that mostly worked effectively. And the tight ends were all involved in the passing game as well. I think the you saw the play action game really get uh, behind the Detroit team, particularly as the game went on, particularly you saw in overtime and I think that then opened up the pass lanes for Tyler Lockett who's obviously just incredibly clutch and DK Metcalf who, who was good particularly early on in this game so I think what you saw from Seattle is you know necessity somehow actually ended up being their largest strength they ended up playing slightly different than perhaps Detroit were you know had she so shown on tape or had been studying for and that kind of heavy approach which I think to a certain extent almost mirrors what Detroit like playing and how they like to play the game of football they like to have a lot of run heavy formations and then play like do play action out of it um, I think it ended up you know almost working against them their own kind of plan and you know it obviously didn't lead to Seattle like blowing them out or anything like that but it did lead to them stacking up a lot of points consistently particularly in that second half and I think the biggest thing you saw was that Geno Smith in week one where obviously they were kind of playing their more maybe more five offensive linemen less tight ends type stuff wasn't getting immediately hit he was still getting pressured fairly quickly even though you know Detroit's defensive line wasn't having the impact that they had you might have expected him but I think you still were having to see him do quick passes but you could see that he had outlet balls he had uh, obviously a plan in all those situations that if the pass rush got him on a play action that he'd get out quickly to the tight end and they'd still have positive production on, on most plays uh, you know Detroit only got that one sack that's a huge win when you're starting to backup tackles who are not very good to be perfectly frank uh, uh, Stone Foresight and, and Jake Coran are, are not good and I think that's a huge win for this team now whether this will be sustainable over multiple weeks or whether the teams get the chance to study this we'll see but I think you know to get things back on track and to beat a team like Detroit is a huge uh, step up but I think for Detroit like look they weren't bad in this game they played well um, insofar as on the offense I think Jared Goff you know Obviously, he threw that pick six. That was a huge turning point in the game in terms of getting Seattle at edge, which meant they were able to hold on for OT at the end. And, and obviously, they got the ball first in OT and won that way. Um, but obviously, you know, that is, you're kind of going, if Taylor Decker were there and Vitae were there in the offensive line, would he have been pressured enough to throw that type of pick? You know, that's the thing he hasn't been doing for so long. As you mentioned, he was so close to breaking the record for uh, most uh, passes without, without a pick. And so it's just those kind of little and as you say Dave Montgomery going out do you miss that kind of just grind pound, you know, ground and pound you know settle the nerves type aspect to your offense so you know given their huge over reliance on Amon Ross St. Brown like he was over 100 yards here and then smash plays from guys like Josh Reynolds you would wonder like what are the other weapons there? What are the what are the contingencies for this team on the offense until maybe Jamison Williams comes back and, and adds that? So uh, I think you know the concerns I had for Detroit are still there, but I think overall they're still such a well-talented team across the board. I would still expect them to win more games than not, but I think Seattle just came in with a almost incidentally by, by accident due to injuries, a game plan that worked really against them, and then we're just about able to hold off here. But I wouldn't panic in Detroit. Um, they're still a very good team, and they're uh, and I think they certainly could win more games than they lose. But with all these injuries, you'd wonder maybe that, you know, your dream, Connor, of them going to the NFC or even for a championship or even further, it seems a little bit further away now, just, you know, because they were so built around being solid in all those aspects. 
Yeah, this this is kind of what I feared about the Lions after seeing them in week one. I thought they they look great in flashes and most of the, the thing clicks together and there's coherence. But I don't think they have the consistency to be truly elite. And I think I was worried that they would drop games like this, where they, they would get into games with, with, with decent to good, i.e. middle of the pack teams, uh, and they wouldn't find that way uh, to win. Um, and this is why I think they are probably more like a 10, 9 to 10 win team than they are a, you know, 12 or 13 go deep in the playoffs kind of team. But they're still fun to watch. And I mean, I thought the offense actually looked a little bit better than last week. Um, last week, the, the leaning on Amon Ra was, was quite blatant where you could see them. You could see Goff bring, uh, relying on Reynolds a bit. Porter, you know, had, he's going to be a guy who I think offers a lot of yards after the catch, uh, which is going to be interesting to see. The The run game, they, they favored Montgomery over Gibbs again, uh, as we as we talked about earlier. They, they need to find that balance. And obviously, as Gibbs gets more experience, it'll probably be easier to do. So I, I think the Lions were, you could see the step forward from last year in terms of the last week, in terms of the offense figuring out a, a little bit further down the line and figuring out who they want to be. The problem, I think, is that the defense just was not anywhere near uh, what it was last week. The pass rush was much less effective than against the Chiefs, and obviously injuries had something to do with that, but also Aiden Hutchinson kind of disappeared in this game after being such a big part uh, of last week. The secondary looks incredibly weak when you're up against wide receivers who are actually capable of catching the ball, uh, which might be something that they uh, need uh, to work on. Um, and and so they they just... They didn't have that ability to stifle that they they did have against the Chiefs last week, and as a result, they got into a shootout. And when you get into a shootout, the problem is sometimes uh, you lose. And with the injuries they, they contend with, it's yeah, it's there's still very much a work in progress. Now, the work that they're building is good, but I think they are still uh, a work to pro, uh, work in progress. I won't say too much about Seahawks because Fizzle obviously talked about it all. Uh, just to say, Gino. He definitely looks like the right choice more and more with each game. It's you don't often get second chances as quarterback in the NFL, and you, and you even rarely see a quarterback actually take the second opportunity and run with it and become the player everyone kind of hoped he was. And Gino definitely has. He's he's corrected an awful lot of people's opinions about who he is. He was he was so clever in this game, just in terms of reading the field, getting the passes out quickly, do, doing all the kind of things he needs to do. Uh, to get things done, he was helped by an O line which held up quite well against against a very stiff uh, pass rush uh, on the Detroit side, which was good. And on the defense, I'd say it's more opportunistic than than solid at the moment. But the pass rush was certainly starting to get to Goff by the end, unsettling him a bit. So there's definitely improvements there. So the Seahawks, I got to think you, you got to be happy with where they are. They're progressing week on week, and they'll they'll be competitive. Maybe again, same kind of thing as last year, maybe lower end. Um, of the of the playoff slots and for the Lions, I still think they they probably will win the division, but it's going to be tighter uh, than we thought, and certainly the Packers are better than we thought, so that one could go down the, down the line. But still rooting for them. They're still I still think they're one of my most favorite teams to watch, and the fact that they are flawed, as I said last week, kind of makes them more fun to root for because you just don't know which which Detroit is going to turn up from week to week. Yeah. Next up, we have the Chargers at Tennessee, 24 to 27 in overtime. Yep, another overtime game. Chargers are going to charge. That was, I think, mostly what I was texting for the fourth quarter of this game. Uh, Chargers offense just kind of collapses on its final drive and in overtime and lets Tennessee grind out the win. Herbert's numbers on paper look good, 300 yards or 305 yards and two touchdowns. But 
he was missing players. He was missing throws. He wasn't firing on all cylinders. Uh, we will say, like, we discussed them last week and we talked about how their offensive scheme seems to be based off getting the run set up and then playing off the run in the past game. And they were missing Eckler and unfortunately Joshua Kelly didn't really do a huge amount stepping in there. So maybe that stifled their planning or something a little bit. This Tennessee defense wasn't really having anything on the ground, so they weren't going to let them out of Tannehill. Had a relatively pedestrian day, 258 yards and two touchdowns. He had one or two good deep shots, uh, but like it was mostly par for the course, really, from... Tennessee like it was just lean on Henry Henry is big and hard to tackle Henry will get four yards then Henry will get three yards and then you have to decide whether Henry's going to run again or whether you're going to try like a quick out um there wasn't a huge amount to be said about it but it got the job done they hung in this game and to be honest it seems to become a recurring theme with these Chargers teams just hang around until they make mistakes themselves and shoot themselves in the foot or I suppose stab their quarterback in the chest with a needle or you know they've, they've <laughs> quite quite a history of these things going on um I would be Look, I've, I've, I've said it before, I'm not the biggest, uh, I'm not a full Herbert truther, but I, I think that he's a little bit overrated, and I think games like this show the little bit that he's lacking, uh, that like he sometimes doesn't have the vision or sometimes doesn't have that ability to put the team on his back in spots where, like, look at the weapons they have, uh, and look at, like, even the performances he was getting out of older players in in this, like, Keenan Allen, like, you know, they should have been able to put this game away and they weren't and they shot themselves in the foot. How their defense was this poor given, you know, it's another year under a defensive-minded head coach who's meant to have that stuff together and he just does not at all. Um, I think we're just walking towards another firing at the end of the season for the Chargers if this stuff doesn't turn around. But this is a classic Chargers kind of just screwing themselves over here. Tennessee doing the traditional Tennessee hanging around and being boring but boring's enough whenever the other guys are going to make mistakes and yeah i i i'm amazed that the charges are going to be sitting at 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 0 and 2 at this point and uh like yeah it's it's going to be tough for them to to climb out of this whereas tennessee keeping themselves relevant albeit just as boring as i was expecting them to be at this stage in the season yeah, we go from one of the teams that I've really looked enjoyed watching this year to two teams that I just do not want to have to watch much more of this year. Um, the Chargers, just because they disappoint so much given their talent level and their just ability to lose games. And the Titans are just they're just not a fun team in, in any way, uh, shape, or form. And the more the the longer these teams stay relevant, the the less happy I would be. I'm, I think I'm kind of at the point now with the Chargers the Herbert Chargers, I'm just kind of, I'm giving up on them for a while until they change head coach or something. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, wait till, you know, Kellen Moore steps up to the big chair and maybe the Chargers start getting interesting because this is, this is, as I said last, last week, they're somehow worse than last year. And it's very hard to, to see how that could be possible. Um, they, they just, they just, always underperform here it was just it was execution all over the place they just generally weren't performing to the standards at the talent level obviously the no Eckler hurt them they kind of lost that run part of the run pass dynamic that kind of made them interesting to watch last week so they were kind of leaning uh, on Herbert a lot more uh, which you know worked fairly well although I'll be they weren't scoring an awful lot of points but for me I think it was more the secondary the, the, the defense sorry was just terrible like they were pretty bad against Miami 
Um, but you could excuse it by the fact that the Dolphins clearly have a really good offense and a really good offensively-minded head coach who can figure things out and, and find ways to beat teams. But this was just this was just embarrassing, right? They they basically Tua torched them for like 450 yards or whatever last week. And this was like the Tannehill equivalent of torching the secondary, as in he was getting efficient, he was being efficient, he was making good decisions, he was getting the ball down the field, and he wasn't doing any turnovers, and he ends up with 200-something yards. That is a Tannehill equivalent of a 450-yard game, and the Chargers just <laughs> gave it to him without any kind of challenges or any, any kind of attempts to, to stifle him. They were just... And despite the fact that the, old, the Tennessee O-line is all over the place, Right, that they gave up five sacks. Still, Tanhill was finding his way to get things things done against against the Chargers, um, and they did stupid things like they gave away penalties twice to convert third downs. It starts the third quarter, which just kind of keeps the Titans hanging around. They let Traylon Burks go off for a seventy-yard pass and stuff. It's just crazy. Brandon Staley made a timeout that allowed. Derrick Henry to get back on the field after they'd taken him off and stuff. The, the the defense was clearly trying to shift to stop Henry, but that just kind of opened up the field for Tannehill. It was just, at no point was the Chargers game plan either A, good, or B, well executed. Like, it was just a mess. And the sooner this team moves on from the Staley era into something else, the better after all concerned in terms of titans i oh god I, I almost don't want to talk about them but yeah Tannehill was good by his standards um that's the kind of that's the good Tannehill you get the guy who doesn't make mistakes and just moves the ball down the field the o-line as i said didn't look the best they were without skaronsky who kind of seems to be the most important part of, the, of that line um the defense of their credit seems able to make big plays in key spots it looks like the run side of the defense was the strength and to their Credit, they stifled the Chargers run offense, which looks quite good last week, albeit with, with more talented pieces there. So, yeah, the, the Titans are going to trundle along to like an 8-9 season, and hopefully we won't have to watch them in the playoffs. And the Chargers, as I, I agree with you, Connor, I think their season is pretty close to the end, and they've got a, a weird kind of fraud bowl against the Vikings coming up this week, which kind of decides which of these 0-2 teams we can finally write off and not have to think about for the rest of the season. And at this point, I kind of would rather watch the Vikings than watch this embarrassment that is the Los Angeles Chargers. Well, I thought I went uh, all studs in last week, and Sean's like going next level, like literally putting <laughs> these guys below the Vikings. Like that's uh, some serious shade. They truly are mid, uh, Sean, uh, in the uh, <laughs> as the kids would say, right? But uh, I don't really have too much to add, just to say that Sean's completely right. Like you know, it's one thing getting sliced open in your secondary by Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle when it happens because of Traylon Burks and a big pass to fucking Chris Moore. Um, that's a bad sign for your defense, Brandon Staley. You were brought in to fix the defense, and it still looks shit. And then the other thing about the like, yes, there are obvious ways that they're shit. Their defense is terrible, and last week we saw the offense could be quite wibbly. But I think there's the thing, it's like, yeah, as you said, Connor, like, Herbert, he's not clutch, and I think that's the biggest difference, you know, right now, Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and Josh Allen. Like, those two guys aren't clutch. Josh Allen never won an overtime game. Um, Justin Herbert is as prone to charging as any of the other chargers and they had two opportunities to put this game away they were in the red zone at the end of the game and if he'd scored a touchdown they would have won the game and then they were in overtime they got the ball first which seattle did and won the game did nothing they they punted i think they went three and out and you're just going dudes like i know tennessee have a pretty solid 
uh, defense, but you have an incredibly talented offense and you can do nothing. And like, yeah, look, uh, uh, you know, obviously if Eckler was there, maybe that would have been the difference and maybe they would have been able to like run the ball a little bit more when they were ahead, um, you know, at, at some point in the fourth quarter. But you know, it's just, you know, you can make excuses for as long as you want, but, you know, this is just the same old Chargers, and going up against a team in Tennessee, which is just very what it is, just a poor version of what, it, like a slowly devolving version of what it has been for several years, it, it wasn't enough, and obviously Vrabel is not a bad coach, he knows what to do, he maximises what he has, and what he has isn't particularly fun or interesting, but it sufficiently works who are going to hit themselves in the face and now you saw Brandon Staley in the uh, press conference afterwards someone brought like a someone brought up the Jacksonville game um in the press conference and oh he, he did not like that at all yeah and, and that's just you know you, that's just a sign of like you know when coaches go into that mode you just know that the end is probably near now the only reason that mightn't happen is because this is a you know notoriously cheap franchise um but you know, objectively, for ninety percent of franchises, it would be shocking if Brandon Staley continued to be. Now, I think they're a good enough team, a talented enough team that there's still a possibility to make it out of this hole. But all the vibes right now just aren't right. No, not at all. Next up, uh, AFC East: Miami at New England, twenty-four to seventeen. Uh, Miami kind of a very different game plan from last week leaned heavily on the run in this one Mozart had 121 yards and two touchdowns and their defense made some big plays they had an interception a fumble four sacks and eight tackles for a loss so they're able to kind of hold on uh from uh, from the half it was uh, it was it's a decent performance from two 249 yards a touchdown and interception uh but like the the new england defense held what was their strength last week in check waddle had 86 yards and hill was only 40 um but it was very interesting how they schemed it up so they saw that the that the defensive backs were covering these guys pretty well and following there was a there was a lot of discussion essentially about how they were doing a lot of motion to stack receivers and have hill coming in behind guys and then pulling crossers so it was very hard to cover him in space and obviously that was what new england locked in on and shut down but then you know, the scheming for Miami was, well, if that's the case, then we're just going to lean on the run game. Uh, the Mac attack looked good-ish, 230 yards, touchdown interception. Like, he had some bad mistakes here and there. They still weren't able to get their run game going properly. Uh, so I would be wondering about why that is. I know that we're meant to be in, is it year two or year three of the new blocking scheme for the Patriots that they're trying to enter? So you'd hope that that would be up and running at this point but uh who knows but look their defense is still top end they did a cracking job of holding miami to just 24 points like if you think about this this is half the yardage in the past game that uh that they gave up to uh, they got off the chargers last week but unfortunately it just wasn't enough this miami team i would say if anything i'm more impressed after this game that they completely shifted what they did on offense to uh to try and, and and get it going i would have liked to have seen a little bit more from their defense here i do think that this is a new england attack that is a little bit more exploitable and like look you did see some 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 mistakes coming in from mac but i, th- I think you could capitalize on that a little bit more but definitely at the moment miami are looking like the class of this division uh and if they're running game can be this good while they've got those weapons in the passing game they're going to be a really really hard team to take on whereas for new england top end defense still question marks at at, on offense but it's definitely better than it was last year they just really need to get that run game going sean yeah I, i feel this game was interesting because we learned an awful lot about both teams and that's kind of what you want from a an early season kind of week 
week two to week three to week four kind of thing. You you want to you want to go into the game with questions about teams and come out with them answered. So in terms of the Dolphins, I mean, this was a really good test for the offense. As in, this is you know, they got the two plus the plus the 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 two amazing wide receivers Hill and Waddle, and they've got you know Mike McDonald is this this offensive. I mean, I mean, he's genius is probably too much of a stretch, but he certainly seems to be one of the better offensive coaches in the NFL against the Belichick scheme and Belichick constantly changing and everything. And it was it was interesting kind of chess match going on with the Miami tried to assert the run and this one wasn't really working, so they had to try and figure out how to make the pass game work despite the fact that Hill and Waddle weren't really getting a lot of freedom. And and what I liked about the Dolphins' offense is that they they weren't trying to push the situation. They weren't they weren't at at any point where they going too aggressively in fact the one time they did go too aggressively too over under through again a, a pass that was he didn't really need to throw and he ended up giving a interception but apart from that they were willing to take what the defense was giving them and that's that's a good way to take on the pats because the pats will give you things uh, they'll give you they'll give you five or six yards of play if you if you just sit there and grind them out and to a certain extent, this is was a Dolphins offense that we haven't, aside to Dolphins, Dolphins offense, we haven't really seen this willingness to just grind it out, get to your 24 points, rely on your defense to hold the other guys down to less than 24. And it worked. And I think they passed that test. And I, I think this is one of the bigger defensive tests they're going to face this year. And to pass it as comfortably as they did is, is a very good sign for that defense, for that offense. On the defensive side, the Dolphins yeah, they were explosive. They did a couple of interesting kind of things that they were they were definitely stifling the Pats in certain areas, and they got a lot largely because there's some weaknesses in the in the Pats O line. I, I was worried about the fact that once the Pats got going offensively, I wasn't quite sure the Dolphins had defensive answers for that, which is something they might worry about down the stretch against against good teams. And you know, we saw last week against the Chargers, they are capable of giving up thirty odd points to good offenses so the Dolphins offense pass the test the Dolphins defense I'm not quite sure at the level they need to be for the Dolphins to be competing at the very top level uh, of the AFC in terms of the Pats I came away oddly optimistic despite them losing again and despite them being about as frustrating as I expected them to be the offense is definitely a lot more dynamic than last year absolutely for sure and I think a lot of the Mac Jones has finally got some, an offensive coordinator he can actually work with and trust and rely on to to kind of guide him and stuff. You can see which with every game that passes, his game develops a little bit more. His field improving week on week. His his throw is seeing in terms of throws is good. He just ha- doesn't quite have the mechanics to execute on the big throws yet, which is hopefully something that down the line you can work on. Now th- it might seem a very strange thing for me, to, given that he's. You know, stats have been quite unspectacular. But I actually beginning to believe that Mac Jones might be about 90% of the way to being a very good quarterback. Like, he just needs some mechanics and he, certain sort of game situations and, and occasional decision-making. But 90% of the way, he is he's there, which... When we take last year's Mac Jones in a comparison, that is night and day. I really thought he was finished as an NFL quarterback after watching him last year. Uh, and now I think that he, he might be, not Brady level, but certainly worthy of the of being his heir in terms of bringing the Pats to, to somewhere interesting going forward. But yeah, they got to use the run game. They're starting to 
use and rely on Stevenson a bit more. I, th- I think they're beginning to figure out that he's the he's the star of this team on the offensive side and to rely on him a bit more, but certainly that's something needs to work on. The turnovers are horrible. And the mistakes are costing them again, and they probably cost them this game. Um, for sure, the defensive side, as I said, they 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 did they gave a lot of tests to the Dolphins. The red zone defense, especially from the Pats, looks quite strong. It looks quite, quite difficult once you get down to like 15 yards away from the end zone to actually score against this team at all. Um, and especially the Dolphins when they lost the the speed uh, of their offense, that suddenly they they have much fewer answers. And Christian Gonzalez looks a really good pickup. Uh, uh, in the secondary uh, uh, as as a first-round draft pick. So, yeah, I'm actually quite optimistic about the Pats, even though they're on two. I think they're going to be quite competitive this year. And the offense makes me a little bit happier every week. And I'm kind of interested to see where it goes now, rather than last year wanting to just turn off the TV every time the offense came <laughs> on. Uh, came on. So, yeah, positive for both teams, but the Dolphins look legit for sure. Yeah, Green Bay at Atlanta up next, 24-25. to 25. Surprise result. Atlanta edge it in a back-and-forth game where Jordan Love looked great for the first three quarters and then just kind of disappeared. He had 174 yards, not too impressive, but three touchdowns, which is good. Um, like, they were up 24-12 to 12 in the fourth quarter, so, like, he just kind of disappeared. And you kind of wonder... You know, is that maybe the lack of experience? Is that maybe the lack of playing time coming into this? Ritter had an interesting game because overall pretty good. 237 yards, such an interception. Definitely better than he was last week. They did ask him to do a good bit more and they were down quite a bit. So they had to lean on the pass game a little bit more. Uh, but Bijan really is like, you know, the star of, of, of this attack. 172 yards. Uh, they were still doing splits. They were still allowing Algier to, to, to have carries in this game. But like Bijan really is the is the man for them. Their defense is actually looking pretty good at the moment as well. They held up pretty well against a Green Bay team that looked good on offense last week. There are injuries, obviously, to the Green Bay wide receiving core, and that's causing some issues. But there's also some scheming questions as well of, like, they have certain players that are good, and then they kind of forget about them and move away entirely. Um, like, I'm, they've, they've got a very large-bodied uh, tight end in Luke Mosgrave, who had one or two catches where he just literally stood up, ran five yards, and turned, and no one can tackle him from behind because he's 6'4", 250. But, like, they just stopped doing that even on short ones, so I don't know what what's going on with some of the play calling there. This is definitely a game that Green Bay felt they should have won, won, and they were definitely in the position to do it, but just, you know, kind of let it fumble at the tail end. Atlanta are proving to be a lot more fun now we i think we kind of had this partially called across the podcast here Ronan. like i i think i had them winning the division i think anyway and i said they'd be a bit exciting to watch the drawback was going to be ritter but ritter actually did some nice things in this game used his legs a little bit as well kind of showed another element that they could make use of albeit i think sometimes the decision making on that wasn't maybe up to the level that you would like to see but you know, this is a young, exciting core. Uh, they definitely made a game plan target to involve the uh, the underused Kyle Pitts and Drake London in this game because you saw them kind of like in what would traditionally be very clear run positions in the red zone going to the air to try and to try and get touchdowns and stuff. So we'll see. They did they did have a couple of bad red zone situations, so that needs a bit of cleaning up from the Atlanta side. But this is a good win against I think a fairly solid opponent like we're fairly I think Green Bay are definitely a solid enough unit this year uh, so for Green Bay there'll be a lot of questions about game management in the fourth quarter and from Atlanta's side 
you know, it's it's very positive. Good growth signs. This is a very young core, and everyone seems to be getting better week on week. Uh, so yeah, very exciting. Yeah, and I think if you're an Atlanta fan, probably the biggest genuine positive um, is that Ritter look got more comfortable as the game went on. He did have a pretty rough start to this game, and obviously he didn't have a great week one uh, where he was basically unused. And I think what you saw early on was, as you said, those red zone struggles where there were open guys and he was just missing them. But I think as they got him outside the pocket a bit more and run him a bit more, he got a little bit more comfortable. And again, he started hitting those throws to Drake London and the and Mac Hollins. And there was one uh, cast caught out from Mac Hollins that, that uh, could have been a touchdown as well. And you definitely have concerns over the red zone efficiency even after that. There was a few too many times that they ended up having to settle for field goals. But I think at least you saw him take those opportunities, at least making close catches, whereas early on he was just throwing it to nowhere uh closer to getting intercepted and actually uh scoring touchdown you know so that's the positive in terms of growth but like let's be honest the real reason that anyone would ever actually want to watch the atlanta falcons and why i don't hate them basically for the kind of team they are because they aren't that much different from tennessee let's be frank is that they have bijan robinson and bijan robinson looks like one of the most dynamic players already in his first two weeks in the nfl every time he touches the ball he just seems to have a unique blend of speed athleticism and explosion that just means that he could take that for a touchdown at any moment even though he's not actually putting up that many touchdowns yet at the moment uh but you just see the him him and tyler algier like tyler algier is a great running back but he's like in that kind of pro bowl category whereas B. John robinson already looks like an all pro uh potentially hall of fame type running back even in his very young career and obviously we hope that he stays healthy and continues to be that kind of dynamic element to keep this atlanta falcons team going i think with raider there's definitely still a ceiling there, but of course he's so young and he's obviously getting better. You hope he can grow into being that kind of, you know, uh, you know Andy Dalton, I suppose, lower-end Geo Smith type quarterback. And for a team which is just talented on the offense in terms of other aspects, that might be enough to get you into the playoffs and who knows, even a little bit before. And I think the defense has definitely been a major step up. I think you saw that all of those veteran additions that they've made have not only been good in their own terms, uh, but have also helped guys like Caden Ellis come on and actually uh, start to kind of you know grow into the roles that they've slowly been getting there they've kind of obviously the falcons defense it's a lot of young players have never really got a chance to, for anyone to actually care about them because the defense has been so poor overall that they've kind of been left in a, a you know no-win situation but you add in these veteran elements and it kind of helps with that situation and i think that's that's generally going well like the the, the stats aren't gaudy it was only like one sack and, and no turnovers uh but you know i think you'll take it at the moment as for Green Bay, I wouldn't be too disappointed with this game. I think Atlanta, you know, they had, like, Atlanta did, like, get way more yards than them. I think nearly doubled the amount of yards. And they were probably the better team over the course of it. It's only due to their red zone inefficiency that they, uh, they didn't win this by more. But I think what you saw on Green Bay... It was a team that uh, was willing to fight, was willing to maximise whatever opportunities it has. And as you said, there's a lot of injuries right now. Uh, they're obviously missing uh, a bunch of uh, wide receivers. Uh, they were missing Aaron Jones in this game, who's basically a huge reason why they won last week. And so Jordan Love, he's a lot more Brett Favre than Aaron Rodgers in terms of his play. He has a lot of like pretty cool passes, like pretty fun passes, like Dunferian Wicks had a, a nice long pass in this game, for example. But you still see a few too many... Um, areas where he doesn't seem to know what he's doing and he makes a terrible decision and then when things don't go his way like there was kind of a botched snap he kind of almost crumpled like he was like a madden uh, model or something like that so i would have concerns over his consistency but i think you see enough of the upside of why they draft in the first place that he's still worth at least using for this year to see what you have uh, but i think for green bay look they're not i think they're a solid team i think the biggest disappointment for green bay is probably that the defense is still 
you know, it, it's not terrible, but it's not the kind of unit you would expect from all the investment they've made over the last five years. That's just been the telltale sign of Joe Barry's defense for so long that you'd wonder, you know, in in a you know NFC uh, that's a bit weaker, I could definitely see them sneaking into a wild card. But you know, I'm not seeing enough to genuinely consider them to be like on a pathway to like you know what they were a couple of years ago with Aaron Rodgers. So I think for both these teams, I think. It's not a bad game for either. I think they can both take positives from this game. Um, but th- th- neither of them have convinced me that they're truly uh, like on the path to being in the elite status. But I think maybe Atlanta has shown enough to be at least in the fun uh, but flawed status. Yeah. Uh, I suppose the other one as well is that Green Bay were on to their uh, AJ Dillon, the backup running back, who for some reason cannot seem to move more than what four yards without falling over. So uh, hopefully that will improve for them and then be able to get their starting running back back for their next game. San Francisco at Rams up next, 30-23. to 23. My God, Sean, we were wrong about the Rams this year. <laughs> They've been far better than we are expecting. San Francisco needed a big second-half push. Uh, they were tied at 17-17 at the half. And to be fair, they were only tied because of some ballsy decision-making just prior to the half as well. Uh, the LA Rams had a decent run of it. So we saw Purdy go for 211 yards and a touchdown. So this is probably not his, like his best performance from them but still does a decent job he got the touchdown just before the half but he was a bit messy now there's some there's some questions here on his deep accuracy although I would wonder there was an injury to Brandon Ayuk early in the game that he's still dealing with now a shoulder injury that might have thrown off that deep one that looked like it was a surefire touchdown if it landed Christian McCaffrey as always looks incredible 135 yards and a touchdown Stafford on the other side had a decent game 307 yards a touchdown and two interceptions uh, they have just found something fantastic in these uh, in, in this wide receiver core behind Cooper Cup we talked about Cup not being there is a big problem. Who needs Cooper Cup when you have Puka Nadu? 151 yards. He's now broken the uh, rookie record for number of catches in two games by quite a distance. So I think he had 25 and the record beforehand was 18 or 19. Uh, but the San Francisco defense tightened up in the second half. They kind of got on top of them. They got two interceptions and a turnover on downs and they shut this game down, only allowing six points in the second half to this Rams team, uh, who were also getting quite a lot of play out of, uh, is it Williams, the running back? So there's a bit of a, there's a bit of an internal fight going on uh, in-house uh, at the moment so it would appear that their starting running wow. back is not a good um the fight's over like cam Akers is gone uh, cam so. Akers is basically gone so they benched cam Akers for this game uh and i think he was partially benched at the tail end of the last one saying that he is a bad culture fit with the team uh but obviously Kyrie williams is doing great stuff for them so they don't really care all that much at the moment uh so yeah the cam Akers experiment is basically over at this stage uh r.i.p to anyone who drafted him early in your fantasy drafts but yeah this was the Rams showing that they are actually here to compete this year uh, and not in the way we were expecting. Their offense looked pretty good, uh, although there were mistakes, particularly in the second half. The San Francisco, they showed they could gut it out in a tough win. They showed that they can take some tough decisions in coaching. The plays just before the half, whenever they you know, were down seven points, they could have just taken the field goal, but they decided to run it to try and get the one yard to get a fresh set of downs. It was very ballsy and then passed for the, for the touchdown. It was great to see. I'm a little surprised that it was this difficult for them to get past the Rams uh, and that even in the second half, they only managed to put up 13 points. But I suppose when you look at it overall, these are 
two head coaches who know each other very well and from what I understand while friendly do not like each other at all while they're playing and will do everything to try and beat the other one uh, I think both teams tend to play up very well when they're playing against each other but this was a gutsy win by San Francisco but a bit messier maybe than they would have liked it to be for the Rams side this is showing that they are actually going to be contenders this year albeit maybe not at the highest level but they are in it to win it they're not here to try and tank to get a new quarterback and uh, while surprising I think it's egg on all of our faces yeah well I I guess I can try and say slightly less egg on my face because I initially did think they would be quite good but then i chickened out so maybe there's more egg on my face if, if anything that's worse Sean. if anything that's worse yes. we we took our egg and smeared it on your face and now <laughs> you're joined us oh this uh, egg is delicious please have some i i it's one of those things is you shouldn't count out sean mcveigh you know he does seem to have a little bit of that you know peak pats belichick thing albeit you know he's the offensive mind or his defensive mind where he'll just There'll just be these random players who turn up and you're like, who the hell is this guy? And then three weeks later, like, oh, yeah, this guy's actually amazing because he's been schemed up perfectly and he knows exactly how to fit in the system, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the Rams just have all these amazing young players now that have just turned up from nowhere that are going to be driving them going forward. You, you talked about Nakua and Williams on the offense. There's also Byron, Byron Young on the defense. It, it certainly feels like they're building. Somehow they've turned this cap nightmare situation into uh oh we got to try out all these young new young players oh they all turn out to be quite good and now they're building the next core which is really i mean it's fascinating to watch and it's a real credit to mcveigh and the, and the rest of the coaching uh, team there to, to kind of pull this team together i don't know if this year they're quite if they'll quite make the playoffs but they're certainly going to end up kind of being competing in there and they're they're much better than, than we thought they'd be and yes i will admit that uh i was half wrong about them uh, at the very least um still some things that aren't quite there yet the run defense looks like it's the weak point and you wonder if teams will start to exploit that down the stretch stafford had a good game but he did throw a costly pick which kind of kills that their attempt to the comeback has allowed the, the Niners to kick a field goal, which gave them a two-score game and effectively ended the game. Naku is great, but Van Jefferson is terrible. And as soon as Cooper Cup comes back from injury, I imagine he's going to drop um, completely. So the Rams aren't quite there yet, but certainly they're not the, the, the dumpster fire that we thought they would be. For the Niners, uh, I think interesting in terms of we talk about this NFC West, everyone seems to have a hoodoo on everyone else. This is the the Niners' ninth consecutive win over the Rams, um, which certainly suggests that they have their number. Not the prettiest. I mean, I, I've kind of been big on, their, on, on the Niners uh, all so far this season. Not the most impressive performance from them. But the point was when the chips were down, they did what needed to be done. And especially the defensive adjustments I really liked. So the first half, they basically had no pressure at all and Stafford could do what they wanted, and then they flipped in the second half to just just blitz all the time, which is probably too much blitzing. But they did they did get a lot of pressures on Stafford, and they ultimately put, pushed him into making a few mistakes, which which kind of were significant for the game. And that just shows. I mean, the Niners are they have great talent on offense and the defense, but they also have co good coaches, not just Shanahan, but the team 
around him as well um, and so they're going to be really really hard to stop this year and I reiterate as I said before I told you guys CMC would be this good <laughs> and he is really I genuinely think he's in with a shot for MVP I know I, I picked him as my MVP kind of to be provocative start of season I genuinely think if he keeps this up he, he's going to win the MVP especially if no one else there's no other quarterback or anything who's really having an amazing season so far so I think he's got to be a good contender and it's not yeah, just his yard it's not just his yards, it's also the way he pulls defenders in attention to them and opens up space for people like Debo. And they really, it's this perfect combination of, a, of a, an amazing talent plus a coach who knows how to exploit that talent to the maximization of the entire team. Um, it's really, really beautiful to see. And I hope it goes on the whole way. Obviously, injuries could be the thing that stops them, but for now, they're looking good. Purdy. Obviously, far from the finished article, I, I, it's one of these weird stats. I think this was the first time he hasn't thrown two touchdowns yeah. in a game which, that he completed, which is quite spectacular. It's that to have. He did, as you say, miss some throws. Some reads were not quite where they need to be. He's not the finished article yet, but I think he's just what the Niners need. Someone who isn't going to do stupid things all that often and then just allow the rest of the team to do their thing. So I'm still very high on the Niners. I think they're going to do very well. But the Rams, I'm interested to see where this, where this project is going. They, they've definitely got my attention with performances like this. Yeah, I think the I think I think the interesting thing that like heard him in the MVP vote is going to be this. So far through two weeks, this is a this is a season that's got kind of the front runners for MVP are two non quarterbacks. I'd say I'd say it CMC and Micah Parsons. And interestingly enough, I think if there's two non quarterbacks in the race, they might split votes and allow a quarterback to jump ahead of them again, which would just be uh, very unfortunate. And probably says something about the uh, bargaining that might happen at the NFLPA level as well. But uh, let's move on to our last game on the game reviews Washington at Denver, 35 to 33. This was. A roller coaster of a of a matchup. Uh, Denver stormed off to a lead, twenty one three, and looked to be really back on track. Uh, everything that Russell Wilson was doing was turning gold, but then it all started to collapse. It came all the way down to the bottom to the last seconds where they threw a Hail Mary, which they completed, went for a two-point conversion and failed on the two-point conversion. Howell had 312 yards and two touchdowns, and even though it was a slow start, he started to really, really look the part towards the back end of this. There were some interesting play calls coming in from enemy. There was also one of the most egregious-looking, head-hunting bullshits I've ever seen uh, in recent times in the end zone by I believe it was Jackson on the tight end Thomas but like it was horrendous stuff and that guy should have been ejected straight away in that Uh, their defense really started to turn up the heat as well as they got into the game a little bit more they had an interception forced a fumble they had seven sacks and five tackles for a loss as Russell Wilson started to feel the heat in the second half he had an up and down game he had a couple of really big massive throws you saw some names that you maybe weren't expecting. Marvin Mims had a big game in both receiving and the return game. Uh, Russell had over 350 yards, three touchdowns, an interception and a fumble. But some of those deep shots started to dry up a little bit and then he wasn't quite as good at the intermediate and the short routes. And I think that's what allowed Washington to climb their way back into this game as well as some good performances from the running back Robinson as well. Uh, it was a bit of... Hot and cold, obviously, a better performance from Denver, but they did take the loss. Um, that's two losses at home, not a great start to the Sean Payton era, although Russell is looking a little bit more like old-school Russell Wilson, uh, albeit that's bringing the inconsistency of him as well. Washington looked to be getting themselves back on track after a slow start. They kind of, 
heated up a little bit. This was a like this is eternally the type of game that Washington would have just lost in the last decade. Like this is just you know they'd get in back into the game and then they'd fumble at the end. This was quite a nice performance from them, and it's nice to see Bietami's offensive scheme kind of working well for them there as well. Uh, lol, Denver. Like it's just I I honestly I think you'd rather not complete the hail mary pass. I think yeah. I think I would not like my team to be down there and watch them fail a two-point conversion to lose the game. Like It was rough watching for them, and particularly given how loud and jawing those fans were sounding in the first half to see them slink off at the end. It must have been uh, crushing, and frankly, I loved every second of it. Yeah, and it doesn't even feel bad because it's Commanders and they're not owned by a you know awful person anymore. Yeah, so kind of, I'm kind of pulling for Commanders a bit now that they've got new ownership and be enemies there, and like it's nice to see Sam Howell do well as well. Like, yeah, and I think if you're a Commanders fan, like it hasn't been perfect these first two weeks, but you're two and zero, and I think what you saw here in particular is that Sam Howell maybe isn't just another Taylor Heine gunslinger. Sometimes looks good, but too often just makes a hames of it. I think what you saw here was not only some of that, like he's still obviously a guy who's not afraid. To to make the big player throw into a tight window when required but like what you also saw was someone who played with a bit more maturity he was confident in the pocket he stayed in the pocket when required he got the passes out to i think 10 different receivers in this game and when the pressure came on from a pretty good uh, Denver defensive front he did use his legs he does have that capacity he's a little bit faster than say someone like uh, Baker Mayfield and he can actually make a little bit of production that way and you even saw Brian Robinson pick up with 87 yards and two touchdowns so you have here I wouldn't say the best offense in the league, but you are seeing chemistry between Sam Howell and his uh, whole receiving set and the enemy's play calling having, I think, you know, there were some people on Twitter saying, hey, here's uh, Patrick Mahomes without pa- Eric Bieniemy. here's Sam Howell with Eric Bieniemy. who was the real hero uh, type takes already. It's a bit early for that, I would say, but uh, I think that's at least a testament that, you know, the commanders might have something here and of course on the other side after what was a I would say it was a pretty decent week one and i would say this was a, a much better outing perhaps helped by russell wilson giving in to his worst urges but they did sack him uh seven times they did get two two turnovers so they were a major factor there and you saw chase young come back and make a immediate impact one and a half sacks so the you know young and sweaty is back you know maybe that's actually going to be a thing this year after being uh, first put forward as a concept a couple of years ago so you know i think for washington you know, I don't think anyone had high expectations coming into this year, but that status is potentially as a dark horse. It's certainly there, and it's going to be tougher games ahead, particularly within their division against Dallas and uh, Philadelphia. But uh, you can't really complain with how it started gone so far. As for Denver, oh, it looked so promising initially. It looked like, oh, is that old Russell Wilson? Is that a big Russell Wilson bomb downfield to Marvin Mims for, for a touchdown? Hey, I haven't seen this in a while. I basically didn't see this all of last year. Maybe we got something here. Oh, is that Russell Wilson doing a little bit of scrambling? Like uh, over 50 yards scrambling? Maybe he's getting some of it back. And, you know, such nice early goings, you know, up by uh, nearly 20 points. And then it just kind of felt like Russell Wilson was if the deep ball's working this well, maybe I should just keep doing the deep ball. The deep ball's the best thing ever. And it's like, 
sorry Russ, uh, the whole idea of the league right now is to take away that aspect of people's passing game and Washington made the suitable adjustments and the longer he held on to the ball, particularly in the second half, the more he got hit and hit and hit again, which has been the Russell Wilson experience, particularly in Denver, but even later on in the Seattle career that was happening much more than was sustainable. And when you don't really have a run game, like Javante Williams was less than uh, four yards a carry in this game, it's going to turn into a problem uh, for you. So, you know, I think Denver both times is, you know, they're 0-2. You've seen that the offense is better than last year, but that's such a low bar. It's not really much to celebrate. But you see last week, you saw a lot of short, quick concepts. Sean Payton, really, his fingerprints all over that. This week, you see some success with the old school Russell Wilson stuff, but you're not seeing the kind of sustainable, uh, you know, roadmap for how this offense is actually going to work on a week-to-week basis and build into something that can genuinely, you know, be respectable at least. And the defense, which was such a strength last year, you know, has given up 35 points to, yes, Sam Howell and this uh, Washington offense is probably better than we expected, but it's still not like, you know, one of the best offenses in the league. Maybe they don't have the same kind of game tape they will have on like Patrick Mahomes or other elite offenses, but still no real excuse for them, uh, despite, you know, they did get four sacks, six tackles for loss, but it's just not what you expect from this defense, right? So I think for Denver... You know, our expectations, which was that this whole thing would fall apart and that Russell Wilson might get kicked out and they bring in the, the, the backup, whatever like that, that still seems very plausible right now. And you're just seeing sparks maybe that maybe that won't happen, that this could come together. But right now, none of those are coming back in a way that feels uh, reliable, consistent. And until they can have a game or two where they can just have a normal offense and maybe the defense gets back to what you expect it to be, Denver just still feels like a lost cause this season. So, uh, yay, Commanders. Boo, Denver. We'll see where they go from here. But doesn't feel. I think the trajectories are very much in opposite directions, even if they are slightly similar in talent at the right at the moment. Yeah, and as always, we say all games are important, just some are less important. And uh, <laughs> Fitz loves those kind of games. Uh, me and Sean don't, so we're going to go off and make a cup of tea and leave. Uh, you have Fitz in the dump off. Yes, yes, yes. Time for another dump off. It was uh, kind of a competition between this first game and the, the Denver game for uh, which... You know, surprise win back and forth between two not so good teams uh, would make it into the into the reviews. But we went uh, the Giants and our Arizona thirty one to twenty eight win. Uh, the other game is the dump off. Uh, an exciting enough game. Uh, like the Giants looked absolutely terrible early on. They were down by twenty points at the half, and they basically had the entire game to get back to a situation where they they won with a late uh, field goal. Danny Dimes just seemed to find his groove late on in the first half, particularly in the second half. He started to run out of the pocket a little bit more. Some of those rushes that we saw last year made an impact, and he started making those connections uh, both in the intermediate and, and deep level. 380 yards, 3 touchdowns and interception. So I think at least you saw something hopeful there. And Saquon was, you know, probably still the engine of the uh, offense, and now he's injured for a couple of weeks. Uh, he had 92 yards and 2 touchdowns, but at least they didn't look as terrible as they did in like week 1 and the first half of this game, so maybe they can get back to being respectable like they were um, last year. As for Arizona, look, they're fighting, they're doing their stuff, but they're just such obviously an untalented team. Uh, Dobbs was perfectly serviceable there here, nearly 270 yards, two touchdowns, and Connor's looking good, over 100 yards the touchdown, but and when the chips are down, Marquise Brown isn't making an influence, like Michael Wilson is their top receiver right now, who's like a, like a rookie, late round rookie, and their defense when the chips were down just wasn't able to stop what isn't really that good of a New York Giants offense. The New York Giants defense didn't do much early on, but in the second half stood up, got that pressure on top, started making plays, and got the job done. So uh, Giants move on, 1-1, one one. they'll probably take that given how bad they've been. Next up, Cleveland at Pittsburgh and Monday Night Football, 22-26 win for Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh D pulled out a classic uh, Pittsburgh d uh, when they absolutely hammered 
uh, Cleveland. Two touchdowns, four turnovers, six sacks, nine tackles for a loss. Obviously, those 14 points in the defense, pretty important in getting what was a close win in the end. Uh, and that's probably important because the offense still looks like it's stuck in second gear. Uh, Pickett had 220 yards, a touchdown interception. Harris was less than 50 yards. Maybe they need to see a bit more. Jalen Warren, he looks like a more explosive player, particularly in the pass game and not just because I own him in fantasy. And Pickens, though, at least in the wide receiver one role with Deontay Johnson out, looked good over 100 yards in a touchdown. Might be good to see more of him. But it's still a little bit mediocre. Right? You definitely were expecting more based on the preseason action and what you heard over the offseason. As for Cleveland, Watson is still bad, particularly when he pressure when he when any pressure gets them and when Pittsburgh blitz he just immediately took the ball down took a sack or tried to rush and got sacked that way um three turnovers in this game oh, obviously two of them well one of them was uh, uh touchdown and, and obviously uh you know two other turnovers isn't good either and you know once Chubb went out the run game is still working they had 176 yards even though Jerome Ford did most of the game at the on the run on the run position and the defense looks pretty good it's it's Jahan Watson there are no other excuses if you've got a good defense and a good run game it's got to be the quarterback, and given that you've paid him all that money, this is looking like a worse investment every day. And not just because he's a cut. I have to mandatory to mention that every week. Next up, Kansas City at Jacksonville, 17-9 win for KC. Probably one of the most disappointing games of the week. Uh, Kansas City, quite sloppy. A lot of flags, a uh, lot of inconsistency, Mahomes through interception. I think they had to pull Jawan Taylor after he got flagged four times early on in this game. Um, obviously, now that everyone has noticed his special like move, early move, everyone's now flagging it. It's kind of unlucky for him. He's, 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 he's just got psychic powers. That's all it is. <laughs> if he just stayed in Jacksonville, no one would have cared because no one cares about Jacksonville. But because now he's on a Super Bowl winner, they're like, uh, no, no, no. You, 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 uh, you do have to mention revenge game. And the revenge yeah. game, he got like 50 yards of penalties. Well, that's also true. <laughs> Um, maybe I, saw, he needs I, I, to... I saw some analysis on the thing of like, you know, uh, some Jags fans online saying, you may have won the battle, but you have him for the next two or three years. We've won the war. <laughs> maybe he needs to go to the Lane Johnson School for false starting good, uh, or not false starting good, as it were. But uh, it's going to be a struggle now. Obviously, you kind of have to play him given the contract he has. But if the refs are going to be like this every week, it's going to keep him in there. Um, so yeah, as I say, Kansas City were pretty sloppy. They had three turnovers here, one from Mahomes, two fumbles from other guys. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's not great, but they did enough here. And especially in the second half, you saw Mahomes start to pull out the magic and make the plays. And they just looked like at least a functional team into the game, whereas Jacksonville were overall pedestrian throughout. I think you saw in particular Chris Jones have a big impact on Jacksonville on key downs. He just seemed to kind of make cameos when it mattered. And he had one and a half sacks, but he had a bigger impact, it felt. Um, due to the plays he was making and Lawrence just never really got going and they had a lot of opportunities that ended up turning into field goals so and the, the, the defense was pretty solid for Jacksonville but I don't know just a kind of disappointing game I don't know maybe they were overawed or it was just too hot or whatever like that but uh, yeah I think for Jacksonville kind of disappointing to not take down a KC team who are not in great sorts uh, early on in the season get that scalp next up New Orleans Carolina 20 to 17 uh, New Orleans were better in this game to be frank they like Carr didn't have any touchdowns but he had over 200 yards a couple of nice D shots uh, one particularly nice catch by Olave uh, mostly Olave doing the work there uh, their makeshift rush game which was like Tony Jones and Taysom Hill somehow went uh, for over uh, 100 yards and they had two touchdowns between them and it kind of cracked a, a tough Carolina defense 
Um, and I think they always looked like they were likely to win because Carolina just never got going. They just look very, very mediocre right now. Actually, worse than me. They just look bad right now. Young, you can see the flashes of why they draft him number one overall, but less than 200 yards here, a touchdown, which was brilliant garbage time, a turnover and a fumble. Just there's no offensive line help. The, the weapons are very poor. I don't know. It's kind of a tough year for him, and you know, you'd hope that things will develop as they go on, but I'm not very optimistic right now um, for Carolina. New Orleans are just okay and that was enough to beat a poor Carolina team. Minnesota Philly 28-34 yeah Minnesota just kind of could have won this game but they just made a bunch of mistakes the turnovers were a disaster here as Cousins you know he had four touchdowns so he wasn't the problem technically well he did have one of the, the fumbles as well uh, but there were four fumbles in this game including one by Justin Jefferson at the end of the first half that went for a touchback everyone's favorite rule and it's just a situation where like you know they can throw the ball to Justin Jefferson. That always works. Thumbs up. But everything else, going bad. The defense, it started okay, then fell apart. Same as last week. All the other pass catchers. Jordan Addison shows up for one touchdown that does nothing else. The run game doesn't exist. Alexander Madison is playing bad. Though that's no excuse for Twitter to be fucking racist or X to be racist, whatever. Even if that's what X does these days. Um, but yeah, just like, I wouldn't say Philly won this game. Minnesota more lost it. Like, you know, I think the good thing for Philly is that their run game got going under Swift. 181's a touchdown. Let's see how that long as that lasts before he shatters into a thousand pieces of glass and hurts i think a little bit more comfortable in this game three touchdowns one interception as uh, a big place to devonta smith and he had those uh, classic goal line shoves that are still working well in the first couple of weeks but yeah overall you know disappointing for minnesota now they're 0-2 we'll see where they're going philly 2-0 maybe a little bit lucky but they'll take it and i expect them to get better from here next up baltimore cincinnati 27-24 lamar looked a little bit comfortable more comfortable this week in the um new offense um, 291 yards, two touchdowns. They always felt a step ahead of Cincinnati in this game, even though it ended up uh, being quite close at the end. Lamar making some passes to all of his different receivers, taking the scrambles at the right time. It just all looked a little bit more smooth than week one. And I think Cincinnati, they needed like a special teams touchdown to really spark um, going because they were very bad early on. And Burrow looked a little bit better as the game went on. He ended up with two touchdowns, uh, about 227 yards. Uh, but he was very poor in the first half, 35 yards passing at the half. Like, they need to get better, and obviously with the injury lingering and concerns about him starting or not going forward, big concerns in Cincinnati, and now they're 0-2. Um, at least T. Higgins wasn't a zero this week. He had two touchdowns, 89 yards, but Jamara was quiet, so I don't know what's going on with Cincinnati, but Baltimore, solid team, doing what they're doing. Despite all the injuries to get the win, they'll be happy with that. Next up, Chicago, Tampa Bay, 17-27. Probably the biggest you know, unexpected, like yeah, Tampa Bay are much better than expected. Chicago are worth, much worse than expected. And Tampa Bay just looked like the better team. They kind of overwhelmed the Chicago team that didn't know what it was doing on offense or defense. The Baker Naissance, um, I'm going to make that up right now. 234 yards, touchdown uh, with Mike Evans over 170 yards in the touchdown of that. You know, he's looking good. He's playing well. He's mistakes and the rope and reads that he's getting he's, he's taking advantage of like Chicago's defense is terrible and their defensive backfield was completely injured in this game but you know you take what you have and they're, they're 2-0 and right now as for Chicago Justin Fields very bad regressing quite badly you feel only 200 yards passing here he threw two picks including a disastrous pick six towards the end of this game on a screenplay you just can't do that like it's just oh it's very bad and there was a couple of times he he went scrambling right into the middle of the pocket and got sacked it's just ugh. Anyway, uh, Tampa Bay's defensive line just looked completely at ease here and um, were able to do what they wanted. The only positive for Chicago is that DJ Morley's got his passes this week over 100 yards, so at least something there, but yeah, Chicago in a pretty big hole right now. Next up, Jets at Dallas, 10-30, as expected with Zach Wilson 
Um, there wasn't really going to be much of a competition here. Dallas's D had four turnovers, three sacks, five tackles for last. He only allowed, allowed a little bit over 200 yards. Zach Wilson, three interceptions. He had one nice touchdown, but it was mostly Garrett Wilson doing his thing on yards after the catch. Um, and like Brees Hall was only like four rushes for nine yards, so you'd wonder what's going on there. He had some thoughts about that on Twitter afterwards, so uh, you'd wonder about the happiness there. As for Dallas, uh, Dallas's offense, maybe I'm being controversial, but maybe he is better under McCarthy. I don't know. Maybe it is uh, early doors, but against a solid New York Jets defense, they just very systematically picked it apart piece by piece with Lamb going over 100 yards, Pollard going over 100 yards, getting it to other guys. Jake Ferguson had a touchdown, and they just dominated the time of possession. They were like over... Uh, two thirds, yeah, two thirds of the, the overall possession. So you know Dallas looking really good right now, but we'll see against stiffer tests whether they keep that up. But uh, early goings, very, very exciting for them. Next up, Indianapolis to Houston, 31 to 20. Indianapolis kind of took this game out early. They were 31 to 10 early in the second in, in the second half. Richardson showed sparks before he went off with concussion. He had two rushing touchdowns, and Minshew just kind of kept the boat going from there. They had 171 yards in the touchdown. And Houston's defense is very young, very raw, and it looks it right now. Stroud. Very poor early on, but at least was able to get like a lot of stack padding in garbage time, turning video four yards, two touchdowns. So that's good at least. But this offensive line is completely injured, and he's dealing with a lot of young weapons. So that's probably the best you can take right now, is Houston. Um, if the guys get come back healthy, maybe they can actually build into something in the second half of the season. And finally. Uh, Marcus will be very happy with this. A nice, easy blowout for Buffalo after a disappointing week one. A 10 to 38 win for Buffalo. Um, they just trounced Las Vegas from pretty early on. Allen had three touchdowns. Uh, you saw some good running from James Cook, who's also a big weapon in the pass game. Gabe Davis was nearly 92, over 100, nearly 100 yards. He had a touchdown as well. So you weren't just relying on digs, which is what you want to see, albeit against Las Vegas, whose defense is pretty poor outside of Max Crosby. Jimmy G. Solid and okay early on, but as the game got out of hand and he was basically being required to do everything because I think Josh Jacobs, he had oh, I think nearly 50 yards all, uh, he had 50 yards all purpose, but nearly all of those were passing. I think he was minus two rushing yards. If you don't have a rushing game, relying on Jimmy G to carry your team, you're going to be in trouble. And so it came to be, he threw two interceptions this game and just looked out of sorts, and particularly in the second half. So Buffalo, they beat a bad team. I think they're still in the playoff table of AFC teams and they can go away and rebuild from here hopefully going forward. So that's the dump off for week two. Talk to you next week. Okay, so let's look at our picks for week three. Uh, we're mostly in lockstep. I've done one now to just to add in a little bit of a curveball. But uh, yeah, we, we, we certainly seem to think that uh, these are a bit more predictable this week. Uh, start on Thursday Night Football, the Giants going uh, over to take on the San Francisco 49ers. We've gone for the 49ers across the board, Sean. Yeah, uh, obviously two se- two teams whose seasons have kind of gone in wildly different directions. The the Giants have looked terrible for three halves and then good for one half, and the the Niners have really solidified their their status as as one of the first to win the NFC. I just can't see how the Giants win this game on either side of the ball. I think their offense is going to struggle to do anything against a San Francisco defense that's going to be targeting them. I I, I imagine Danny Dimes going to have a whole bunch of turnovers. Then the other side, you've got this, you know, elaborate, multi-headed, well-coached uh, attack against a, a, a New York Giants defense that hasn't really turned up so far this this year. That they've, they've given up, you know, uh, 40 points in, in game one, or well, not not defense was responsible for all of those, but they've given up a, a whole bunch of points in game one and in game two. So yeah, I just can't see the Giants competing in this. I think this, the Niners will win this probably in a blowout. Yeah, uh, I think the Giants management are currently saying 
Well, Saquon Barkley heals fast, so maybe he will be back, which is just not not what you want to be hearing in advance of a Thursday night football game. Next up, Atlanta at Detroit. Uh, obviously, these are two teams kind of in the ascendancy, but at different stages of that development. Can Detroit get themselves back on track following all the injuries that they faced and get a win here against... Uh, uh, up and coming but maybe not there yet Atlanta team Atlanta's going to look to run the ball down their throats uh, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen here we've gone for Detroit across the board like even with the injuries to their pass rushers you'd hope that Detroit would be able to get a bit more pressure on this Atlanta team and fluster the young quarterback yeah I think this is the kind of game you want to see Detroit win obviously they're facing a lot of adversity right now due to injuries on their offensive line and the running backs and in their defensive backfield uh, that's probably less of a concern against Atlanta, the, the, the defensive back. So I think, you know, we want to see the real character of this team because obviously everyone loves all the comebacks late in the season from Detroit as they've done last year. But we've seen that, you know, when everything hasn't gone right for them, they have gone through long stretches of just being bad and they come up against here a very solid Atlanta team they know what they want to do they've improved their defense they've obviously taken a, a couple of scalps already albeit not not the greatest scalp but I think for Detroit I think if they want to win this division this is the kind of game they need to be winning particularly if they want to win to be a genuine contender they need to win this game despite the adversity but Atlanta we know B. John Robinson's going to be a major factor here unless Detroit really zoom in on them um, and if they can stop the run game Detroit then obviously and force it on Ritter's back that's probably how you win this game Game, but uh, that's a tough ass based on what we've seen in the first weeks because Atlanta are very dedicated uh, to their and I think for Detroit what you definitely don't want to see is any more regression from Goff he had the one pick six last week if you start seeing him make more mistakes on a regular basis then this whole thing could fall apart very quickly you fear yeah this is a real kind of statement game for the Lions they get to two and one their season I mean they get to 2-1, that's probably where they expected to be after three weeks, and they kind of get the season going. If, if they lose to the Falcons after the season to the Seahawks, then the questions have to come out about, about you know, their their mentality and their ability to actually win tough games against, quote-unquote, middling uh, opponents. But uh, I, I, I am a little worried that the Falcons might win this one, um, especially with the Detroit injuries. But uh, I just, my heart says Detroit, and i got to stick with it to the bitter end. All right, uh, next up, Chargers at Minnesota. This is my game of the week. It's a derp-off, baby. Uh, we don't get too many of these. Just two teams who are utter hot messes going up against each other and just slapping each other in the face. And who knows what's going to happen in this game. Two teams whose offenses obviously had some serious firepower when they need to be. We'll see if the Chargers get Austin Eckler back. We know Minnesota's going to feed the crap out of Justin Jefferson against one of the worst secondaries in the league, it feels like, right now. But it's all about those defenses, right? Like, Minnesota's defense has shown flashes of being better than last year. I think it's definitely better on the floors than it was last year, but it also has not really been able to sustain that for a full game. There's been entire halves or quarters where it just disappeared and the kind of aggressive floors, all it's kind of almost being too clever by half uh, type uh, game planning ends up being figured out and then the big plays start just flowing out and you know some of that's because the Minnesota's defensive personnel isn't particularly great to be frank um, but you also feel like you know he's not helping himself sometimes with the way he calls the plays uh, Flores but look look Minnesota we know what they're going to do um, they're going to pass the ball to Justin Jefferson I think the big question is can Jordan Addison be more of a consistent feature in this offense he's had two touchdowns already so that's a positive but maybe just see a bit more of him and Osborne actually kind of been involved in a, on a play by play basis and you definitely want to see the run game be better i think madison really bad the first couple of weeks still once again reminder no reason to be fucking racist twitter um but you then have to wonder like 
uh, should they be a team picking someone up or should they be trying one of their rookies or something like that to see if they can spark something as run game because it can't really get worse than it is right now as for the chargers well we talked about them in depth early on like we know justin herbert is going to put up big numbers but is he going to put up big numbers when it matters when it it's actually going to win them the game. Um, it'll obviously be much easier to do if Austin Eckler is back here. He's obviously such a huge uh, factor both in the rush game and in the pass game. Um, but it's just they're so unclutch and their defense is just complete poop. Um, it's just one of the worst defenses in the league. Maybe not objectively in terms of metrics, but in terms of you know screwing up definitely. And that secondary, ooh, JC Jackson is looking very rough right now, and the rest of them aren't really that much better. So I think what you're looking at for here is a classic full-on shootout like the Chargers had in Week One, um, and then it just really comes down to which team derps the least uh, in terms of who will win this but uh, should be a fun game for the neutral uh, probably no fun for either of these sets of the fans of these yeah teams. high high scoring silliness uh, it'll come down to who scores last or who's like these are two teams that completely crumble and fuck themselves over so it's just going to be who can fuck themselves over the least really yeah, it's like if it was like a treble fumble, like where the like the teams fumble the back <laughs> to each other each time. That wouldn't surprise me in this game. It's just mm. it's a dumb game uh, for dumb people, yeah. uh, but I'm pretty dumb and I'm into it. I I just I find myself having a little bit of sympathy for the Vikings this year. I don't know if it's because Kirk Cousins on quarterback is he, he, it's hard to hate him after you see him just be a normal guy, but uh, oh, Sean, the Vikings so could norm-core. have won. <laughs> the Vikings could have won last week had the rules been different about fumbling into the end zone. Um, whereas the Chargers, they just they just charge all they it really seems to be like the peak, like the platonic ideal of charging this season. They find they're gonna find a way to lose every single game, mm. it feels like. Um, and they actually have a really terrible record in one score games and this kind of feels like it'll be a one score game. So I just it comes down to stretch. I actually kinda of trust Kevin O'Connell to find a way to win a game where Brandon Staley I kinda of trust him to find a way to lose the game, which is why I think I gotta go for the Vikings. Yeah, I'm yeah I'm, I'm I'm teetering on this one. So myself and Ronan have gone for the Chargers, you've gone for Minnesota. I'm I'm hemming and hawing about going for Minnesota in this one although i am kind of pulling for the complete reversal so they won what was it 11 one score games last year yeah. <laughs> uh so i wanted to lose 11 one score games this year just to see how it looks charging uh, versus reverse core curse it's, it's an epic battle oh yeah next up we have denver at miami we've gone from miami across the board ronan yeah like look as we talked about denver are showing they're a little bit better than last year but right now they're definitely still in that shit list of not being a team that's particularly interesting but you know maybe they can develop into something but you feel like miami after figuring out the bill belichick defense can probably take down a denver defense which give up all those points to washington and on the defensive side they're not great but i could still imagine as long as they take away the deep ball which pretty much every defense is designed to do um i'm not sure denver have much left in their pocket so easy win for miami it feels like yeah, we'll see. Uh, Tennessee at Cleveland, uh, a game that I do not care about. Uh, we've gone for Tennessee across the board as well. Look, Clevelander sans Chubb. Watson has been playing terrible. Uh, like, this is a very boring Tennessee team, but as I said, it's a boring Tennessee team. It's just going to be there and hang around until the, the other team makes a mistake, and this is a Cleveland team that's going to make a mistake because you can't trust Watson. Um, yeah. It's a meat grinder oh, this, game. This game is going to be turgid. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so calling bad. it now. Even if this ends up being a high-scoring game, I'm, I'm kicking this into the, <laughs> preemptively kicking this into the dump off. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it next week. We got for Tennessee across the board there. Uh, next up is my pick of the week: Buffalo at Washington. We've gone for Buffalo back across the board. So Buffalo looked to be getting back on track after last week. They were a bit more exciting. Can Allen build on that? Because this is a much tougher defense in Washington. We saw they really started getting that uh, that defensive line going, as you said, young and sweaty. Uh, on 
kind of making impact on the game towards the second half last week. So can that continue against what's not been a phenomenal line in uh, in Buffalo and to see if they can get a bit of pressure on them. Um, also then on the offensive side for Washington, like there's question marks over whether the tight end Thomas will be back from the concussion that he received from those filthy bastards over in Denver. But they do have some weapons there. Terry McLaren is kind of getting back to form following his turf toe. They've been getting some good performances out of Brian Robinson in the back. You'd hope that the enemy, now that he seems to be betting in a little bit more, we saw it in the second half of last week, the game that it started to get a little bit better, that they could potentially push a little bit. The question is basically, if Buffalo is the team they were in week two, Buffalo should win this easily. If Buffalo are closer to the team we saw in week one, we could have a game in our hands here, and it's at home in Washington. So I think it'll be an entertaining watch, and I think it's going to tell us a lot about these two teams and their trajectories. Because, um, you know, Washington are currently 2-0, and might be semi on a technicality but like they're up there still it's uh, or sorry they're one to know but uh, uh but yeah look it's, it should be should be should be an interesting game anyway yeah i think washington have shown enough that we should respect them i think the defensive line is living up to its reputation mostly in the early goings i think there are still some issues at linebacker in the secondary but if you have at least one big strength at least you have to give the defense some respect i think sam howell as i said maybe he's not just another heineke or fitzpatrick type player maybe he actually has it in them to be not just big plays fun stuff dumb stuff but actually someone who can just do those longer longer drives those more meticulous drives play the modern nfl and what we saw in week one against uh, josh allen was that he wasn't able to do that obviously josh allen's a much more talented player but if this washington defense can frustrate him if they can make him uh, hold the ball if they can make him look downfield and he kind of gets tempted by those deep shots will he revert to those kind of awful interceptions and early on but look i think washington it feels a little bit early in the development to be able to knock off what we would still consider to be a good team like buffalo but yeah definitely definitely a shot here but uh, we'll favor buffalo for now just because of the, the the record i suppose over a longer period of time yeah it, it's a good test i think for the bills we know they bills can steamroll teams when they get going but we don't know as about this team is their mentality when they get into tough situations when they get into a bit of a scrap and they have to fight their way through. We don't really know if this Bills team has has that kind of winning mentality to power through. And the Commanders are a good test of like a team which has flaws but is is a bit spicy and will definitely fight you to the end. And their defense is going to cause some problems. And I, I think the Bills will come through it, but I I definitely would not be surprised to see the Bills lose this something like twenty eight twenty six or something, just because they feel a bit fragile at the moment as, as a team and, and I and I wonder if they're going to be up for the fight yeah next up New Orleans at Green Bay sponsored by Ford F-150 it's Love Car uh, Love <laughs> <laughs> can Love cut out the mistakes that we saw at the tail end of last week's game and will he be able to stay in it for four quarters this time against what's been a solid if not smothering New Orleans defence uh, we got Carr leading the attack in New Orleans he's been kind of pretty much what we were expecting, very much what we saw from his time in uh, in the Raiders as well, where he has a couple of big plays here and there, but there's not consistency on that. Uh, so we're going to have to see whether this New Orleans offense can get going and uh, what they're going to look like in the run game as well. Uh, I think it's not yet. It's It'll be another week before they start getting players returning from suspensions, right? Uh, Alvin Kamara, yeah, he's yeah. not uh, back till week uh, five, I believe. Oh, week five, um, fair enough. Yeah, yeah that's- so look, New Orleans have been okay so far. Uh, They haven't really blown you away in their two wins against a very poor Carolina team. And obviously uh, last week, or they beat Carolina last week and they weren't great in week one either um, against Vegas. So yeah, I think this is a good test of them. I think similar to how Green Bay Atlanta was revealing about where these teams were, I think New Orleans Green Bay will also be revealing. I think New Orleans, 
you know, I don't think they're as exciting Atlantic because they don't really have as many wow factors, but they're very solid. I think their deep game has been pretty good so far. They've managed to get Rashid Shahid and Olave involved in there, and Thomas even showed up a bit in terms of the kind of, you know, slant boy uh, reputation in the last last week's game. Uh, the run game's definitely a concern, that that probably just means we'll see more taste and build bullshit. So New Orleans have a chance here, but I think Green Bay, we have a bit more trust here. This is a, a young, ascending team. Love, very prone to some really dumb plays but overall within the LaFleur system he seems to be comfortable all those years that means that he knows what he's doing when the play is schemed well and that's mostly brand and the defense while a little bit disappointing considering how much he's invested in it, I think it's a solid defense so I don't see this as really as a high scoring high octane game but I think one or two big plays will probably be the difference here and it's just about who can get those and most successfully I think Green Bay especially if they get Aaron Jones back I think I just favored him a bit more yeah, we've got Houston at Jacksonville up next. We've gone for Jacksonville across the board, Sean. Uh, so we think that they're going to be able to get it going against what's basically a single tackle and then the rest of the offensive line of Houston. Yeah, not the most impressive performance from Jacksonville last week, but they, they do have the talent. Their defense especially looks looks quite strong, and I think they're going to cause a lot of trouble for the Texans to actually score many points, especially with, with you know a, a rookie uh, at quarterback, offensively, it, it's the Jags kind of have to get going here. They, they looked pretty solid in week one when the chips were down, but they really struggled to do anything much at all against the Chiefs. So this will be this. I, I, we still don't quite know how good these Jags team are. And I don't think we're going to know much more about them, but certainly I think they're better than the Texans. Uh, and if Lawrence can get back in the groove, I think that's kind of what this game is going to be about for them. Can they get back to get, get their momentum back a little bit after a, a pretty disappointing game against KC? Yeah, uh, it'd be nice to see if Houston start getting their run game going again. They have been getting some performances out of their wide receivers, though. Next up, Indianapolis at Baltimore. I've gone for Indianapolis. You guys have gone for Baltimore in this one. So, obviously, there's questions about who's going to start at quarterback. We mentioned the concussion protocol for Richardson, so it's either him or Gardner Minshew. Minshew looked fairly decent when he came in pitch-hitting during the game last week. Uh, this Baltimore offense has been rounding into form, though. They looked a little bit more comfortable in it. And the defense, while not fully there, is starting to click a little bit more. Um, I hope for Indianapolis would be just kind of get the plays going down the field like they did last time. They were they were doing pretty solidly, albeit against a lesser defense last week. Uh, I think Baltimore are not quite there yet, and I think they might be prone to a couple of mistakes. We saw a couple of decision-making bits that went slightly awry. Less so last week, but it's still there, so I'm kind of thinking that Indianapolis, particularly if we have Richardson playing, could be a very interesting side against this Baltimore defense. It's still not 100% on its marks um, and they could kind of come in and surprise them a little bit. I've been surprised with how overall solid Indianapolis have looked this year, um, so that's why I'm going to side with them slightly. I think it's probably going to be Baltimore, but we only disagreed on one other uh, one other match this week, so I thought this was the one that I was closest on swapping. Yeah, the Colts are better than we thought, um, and it's interesting that they have so two two different quarterbacks, two different ways to play, but they seem to work either way. And obviously, Gardner Minshew, I think he's probably the best backup in, in the NFL. I mean, he's he's definitely he could play for a, an Arizona or a Houston if he wanted to. Um, so they they'll be good. Baltimore, I think they feel a little bit more. They haven't quite hit the gears yet, but I feel that they they're solidly put together. To, we, we know how well coached they are. I think the, the, the offense is certainly looking a little bit spicier than they did last year. I think Lamar is happier and things are working out a bit more. I just think there's just more talent on the Ravens side um, that I just I just don't quite yet trust this Colts team to be able to win a game of this kind of caliber quite yet. Yeah, I think that's 
about rights. Like I think the Apples are better than we expect, but Baltimore, they're obviously a more solid team. We trust them based on the expertise and, and the, the record. But uh, yeah, I think especially if Richardson is that it's hard to call for Indianapolis in this game. Yeah. Next up is Sean's pick of the week. Uh, he's going to the AFC East and he's going to New England, taking on the New York Jets. An interesting pick of the week, Sean, as I would imagine the over-under on points scored is 11. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got to be a fun one. I, do, I find the AFC East to be... Maybe because I'm slightly invested in it as, as a Pats fan. Slightly invested in it. I find it the most interesting division just to watch so far. Like the Bills-Jets game week one, very interesting game to watch. Obviously, the, the Rogers industry skewed that. Then last week, Dolphins-Pats was again an interesting game. And now this is this is the... To an extent, it is this is which is the third best and which is the fourth best team in the AFC East. But it's it also about which of these teams might be able to make a playoff run. Um, and obviously, neither of these offenses are particularly fantastic, uh, and both of them are kind of defensive heavyweights. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if these offenses can get anything going against this defense. I guess I'm leaning towards the Pats because I do trust this Pats offense a little bit more uh, to be able to score points. As I said, I think Mac Jones is rounding into a very interesting quarterback, albeit he's he's, he's still a bit away from the, being the finished article, but he seems to get better every week. If they build a bit more on the run game, they're going to cause some, some troubles. and that, uh, So it, I, I think they're more likely to be able to score points that way where I just, I just can't. Zach Wilson just, he just can't do it you know it doesn't matter who you put him around it doesn't matter that you've got wilson doing amazing things or you got your running backs doing fancy stuff ultimately you need zach wilson to be able to throw a few balls everywhere and belichick is so good against bad quarterbacks he's just going to eat him alive um so i just i just don't know how the jets offense are to score any points whereas at least rely on the pats offense to be able to maybe score 14 17 points and i think that would probably be enough i would love to see the jets actually use their running backs uh, they, <laughs> but they, they 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 gave Brees Hall like what four carries last week? Like it mm. was ridiculous. Like just from a game plan perspective. So hopefully, having seen what New England did last week and what worked against them, maybe they'll do that. The problem is you don't have the the wide receiver threat that you know <laughs> that Miami poses. But Garrett Wilson is a top end player, and we saw the big connection, the big touchdown last week for the Jets was whenever he just said "fuck it," Wilson down there somewhere and heaved it. So maybe maybe they need to do a few of those and make 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 New England pick which one. But the problem is, like you said, Bill Belichick's genius. They do have the personnel of if it's just Garrett Wilson, then they'll just put the is Christian Gonzalez that his name mm, on him yeah. and like and then put a safety over the top if that's the only real risk in the passing game and then just bite down on on, on Brees Hall but like you got Brees Hall and Cook there like you might as well make use of them I know their line's not great but like you know do something he was on pace behind a very similar line to be offensive player of the year before he broke his leg and he's looked explosive when he said the ball so Jets please just run the fucking ball yeah I, I, they seem to like want to on their feet with the Zach Wilson thing and I'm just like no just just lock him up and then just have like yeah Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook just carry him in a little trailer just minimize Zach Wilson to the least amount of play possible I, I get it you want him to work out but it's not going to work out just just stop and just let your running backs work and look even if it means you lose like like 9-12 or something stupid like that that's still better than throwing like four interceptions and like three pick sixes and you know the whole thing turns into an absolute disaster like you just gotta if you want to if you want to be better quarterback go sign a quarterback otherwise with Zach Wilson you know at least give him an opportunity to not fuck up because against Bill Belichick and the way he's scheming up this year if he 
has the opportunity to tell Zach Wilson one thing before the snap and a different thing afterwards, Zach Wilson is going to fuck up. Yeah, uh, so we've got New England across the board here. Uh, our late slate is not great. So let's fly through these quickly. Ronan, Carolina at Seattle. We've gone for Seattle across the board. Yeah, look, Carolina's offense is floundering at the moment because their offensive line is bad and their weapons are bad. And Bryce Young, he doesn't look bad, but I think he's just in a really tough situation. So Seattle obviously getting back on track against Detroit, you would expect can win. Um, and against the Carolina defense, I wouldn't expect it to be a blowout, but I'd expect to be able to grind out enough points to, to win this comfortably enough. Yeah, next up, Chicago at Kansas City. We've gone for Kansas City across the board. Fields has not been looking fantastic this year. He's had a couple of moments, but not getting the passing game as we were kind of hoping he would. And he's probably going to struggle against what's been a pretty tasty looking Kansas City defense. I will caveat that though that historically Spags' stuff has gone a little bit less well against mobile quarterbacks so we'll see albeit with a slightly better linebacker core. The hope here would be against what is not a particularly strong Chicago defense that Mahomes will be able to get back to where he was beforehand. Start putting up some numbers and we can start seeing a few fun plays down the table. You'd also hope to see Travis Kelsey he made a difference, scored a touchdown and all that and got us the Taylor Swift joke quote from the uh, announcer last week but he only caught four of nine targets he was clearly still struggling with the knee injury and you could see it in him in the sideline so more less so seeing him put up loads of numbers and more so seeing him feel a bit more comfortable on the on the pitch and returning to kind of full health would be a key one but i'd expect kansas city to win by a bit of a distance on that one uh ronan dallas at arizona we're going for dallas across the board wow dallas look good yeah, look, Arizona, you, you've gained a little bit of respect by, you know, being, you know, competitive with the lesser lights at the NFC East. But now it's time for your pounding and Dallas are going to pound you into dust. Their defense, especially Micah Parsons, looks absolutely devastating. So I don't really see James Conner going anywhere. And if uh, Josh Dobbs is forced to throw the ball a lot, he's going to get hit a lot. And he's going to throw probably a fair number of turnovers and fumble interceptions, etc. like that. And that enough will probably be able to win. But Dallas's offense, it's another, like they haven't, like obviously they're going to, actually going to have a real test at some point we're actually going to have to score to win games but in this game it'd probably be another comfortable situation and you know as i said controversially the offense last week looked a little bit better than it did under uh, the previous management maybe mccarty knew what he was doing right all along we'll see in future weeks but this week pretty certain this is gonna be a big dallas win yeah, Sunday Night Football is Pittsburgh at the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, we've got for Pittsburgh across the board here. This is, I suppose you could favorably call it one for the purists. Uh, Jimmy G <laughs> is going to be trying to throw a lot against a very, very good Pittsburgh pass rush. I would, I, I would expect to see uh, Pittsburgh defense outscore their offense on this one. Uh, we'll see what Vegas can do. They have, like, they should hopefully have Jacoby Myers back uh, from his concussion from the first game. So they'll give them a weapon, which they're going to need because Devontae Adams is probably not going to be playing. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if they can actually, you know run the ball because again like you said they got pretty much nothing out of Josh Jacobs uh, by design last week so that's just confusing but yeah this is uh, not going to be a fun game to watch at all uh, might be good defences to start in fantasy though if that's something you're after uh, we've got two Monday night football games which are a little bit chunkier so we'll spend a little bit more time on these so first up we have Philly taking on Tampa Bay we've gone for Philly across the board uh, these two undefeated teams surprise surprise uh, Baker Mayfield looking a lot better than we were expecting uh, he's getting good performances out of Godwin and out of Evans uh, which to be fair like we said coming into the season if he's going to succeed somewhere it'll be here he's got the weapons around him it was just a question about the defense the big question is are they going to be able to take on this Philadelphia defense the defensive line is a bit killer uh, but 
they are missing a couple of players. We have mentioned a couple of their injuries earlier. And they've not been firing at the high level they had beforehand. So there is an opening here for a Tampa Bay team if they can get their P's and Q's right on offense and keep scoring up. Because I'm not sure I'm not sure the Tampa Bay defense is going to be enough, even though their pass rush has been decent, to stop Philly. But I do think that like Philly's defense, if it's not if it's still hitting the level it has recently, Tampa Bay with the right scheme could kind of try and go blow for blow and we could get quite an explosive game here yeah it's hard to see Tampa Bay winning this game just because of the disparity in talent necessarily but I think what'll be interesting to see if Tampa Bay can build on what they did in the first two weeks against let's be honest two pretty bad defenses in Minnesota and Chicago um and show us that maybe this thing is for real maybe there's something here legitimately where Tampa Bay could be the the biggest force in the NFC side, which is looking surprisingly spicy right now, uh, that division. So I think for Tampa Bay and Baker Mayfield, the big thing is you don't want to make the big Baker Mayfield style mistakes. Um, the two mistakes are obviously are the big turnovers, which he's done at certain points throughout his career. And the other thing is just him not putting himself unnecessarily in harm. Now, look, if it's going for a third down conversion or something, that's one thing. And obviously, you know, you're fighting it for your career. So, you know, you're going to be a little bit more reckless, but, you know, some, like just doing it on random downs against this the Philly defensive line just isn't going to cut it. Like it's just not going to work. Um, and you imagine that you know with uh, two good cornerbacks, it's going to be tougher to get those big plays behind um, for Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I think you know, I think you know, like both Darius is prone to sometimes uh, trying to go for the big play but um, you wonder if he'll just try, like I think Philly's smart idea here would just be to contain Tampa Bay force him to do it the hard way Rashad White was better last week but he still doesn't look like a genuinely uh, great running back but I think just contain them make them go short make them go all the way down the field and I think on average you would expect the Philly team to win it but I think that's also true for Tampa Bay their defense is better expected they've got a good front and there's still enough defensive pieces their defense looks pretty good under Todd Bowles right now obviously it's his baby and so I think Philly similarly will struggle unless they're able to do what they did last week and able to run the ball really well and kind of do those small things I don't think going to get as many of those big plays to Devonta Smith and AJ Brown as they would like and I think they're just going to have to do it the hard way so this feels like it could be a quite a close tense interesting game like chess type game um but I think Philly just the talent difference and obviously the the record of success you'd have to favor but yeah I think there's a good chance for Tampa Bay to show that we should actually take them seriously and not just because they beat a couple of uh, no-name NFC side North teams and uh, then our second Monday Night Football game the Rams taking on Cincinnati um, this is kind of a surprise one so like we said egg at our face the Rams are better than we thought and they are very competitive they've got good wide receivers they've got something happening in the backfield and their defense has actually stood up fairly alright uh, and they've taken on some serious teams Cincinnati on the other hand have been looking shite uh, their offense is not clicking really massively at all and to top it all off Burrow re-aggravated that leg injury is uh, so there's a question mark as to whether or not he's going to be able to play in this game so can Cincinnati's defensive backs stop like this collection of surprise no-name wide receivers who are tearing tearing it up is the Cincinnati attack going to be able to keep pace with this Rams offense that is not a statement I was expecting to have to make in 2023 <laughs> um but yeah, like uh, particularly with Joe Burrow out, with Joe Burrow out, I think this is a definite Rams win. Even with Burrow in, he's not been playing well. And if I was them, I would keep him out for the week anyway, try and get his head clear because I would worry that like some of the, some of the some of the issues they've had in the first two weeks is that they were bringing him back too early and wasn't completely right. But yeah, like this is a Cincinnati team that th- this could lead them to be zero and three, which would well, effectively kill their season or at least like you said kill their kill their chances for the division for the most part and i'm finding it hard to look past the rams in this game 
Yeah, it's 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 not a nice place for the Bengals to be. They they haven't really done anything this season that that suggests any kind of confidence and they've got this toss up between a, a clearly injured and far from 100% Joe Burrow or I actually had to look this up. Their backup is some guy called Jake Browning who I've literally never heard of. Um, who was undrafted. Like, he's not even... Whatever about Brock Purdy being a seventh-round draft pick, their backup is literally some guy off the street um, against a Rams team which has got a lot more talent than we thought. Is You know, the coaching is there. They've, they've got interesting things going on. They, the, the the Cincinnati defense is going to probably have to do some things to, to stop, stop Nuka and this kind of stuff. And... Yeah, I just, I struggle to see, if the Bengals play like they did in the first two weeks, I just struggle to see how they compete at all with this Rams team. I think it could be, get a bit ugly, you know? I mean, the Rams are, they're solid on both sides of the ball, and the, the Bengals are anything but at the moment. And yeah, we, we if the Bengals go to 0-3, the, the real questions have to come out, because this team is, it's not what it was these past two years, uh, and I'm, I'm a bit worried about them. I think they need to win this game in order to save their season, and I don't think they're going to do it. I'm like you. I I feel hard to see past the Rams in this one. Yeah, I think all the objective facts would say that right now, based in the form book, that the Rams should win this game. I think the only reason to have hope for Cincinnati is that they've had some pretty big holes before where they've looked kind of lost and they don't know what they're doing and then they just, one week it all clicks and suddenly they start looking like the, the kind of Burrow Bengals and they start winning many weeks in a row. So, you know, I wouldn't dismiss them completely, but yeah, right now the Rams look much better than we expected. They're playing really good football on both sides of the ball. They look like a really young, hungry team, and uh, Bengals look a bit shell-shocked right now. Uh, I don't know anything about this Jake Browning guy, but I assume he has a rifle of an arm. Um, so, uh, uh, but uh, that's that's. <laughs> but that's uh, all we uh, all we can really say right now. I think Cincinnati, given the uncertainty about Burrow, you have to pick against them. But even with them, as you say, this is a tough outing. Um, but yeah, Cincinnati have come back before when we didn't expect them to. Maybe they can do it again. But uh, Rams on the forebook right now. Very good, very good. And that'll wrap up our previews for week three. So any crack with yourselves for the weekend, lads? Uh, as I said, I'm off to Atlone and then I'm off to Barcelona. So I will not be here next week. You're going to have to do without me. Gonna have to do a duo. Don't worry, we we will remind the listeners that you and you alone said that Christian McCaffrey would be good and the 49ers would be tasty. Yes, <laughs> yes. When they inevitably win again, I want I want to put on the record that the I was I was a lone voice in the wilderness. It was it was pro Niners. Okay. Yeah, well, the Waterford is pretty wilderness, so that makes sense. Anyway, um, as for me, a uh, big rugby game this weekend. Ireland playing on South Africa, probably the pivotal uh, game of the group stages. So I'll be hopefully meeting up some people to watch that. But uh, other than that, nothing uh, too exciting. Yeah, I think I've got a lot of a uh, lot of visitors coming up to to see. So we've got, I think, friends coming over for dinner. We've got family coming over to stay with us as well. So we'll have a uh, we'll have a very kind of busy but uh, but enjoyable uh, weekend ahead of us. So that should be good crack and uh need to then have a look i think we've got a i think my training might be cancelled this saturday because of the the half marathon that's on in the phoenix park but uh, i'll need to need to check up on that but other than that uh no i'll just be prepping bits and pieces for restaurants slash bars that we could visit we're in london and then we will promptly not bother with any of that and we'll just go for pints in the nearest dingiest pub and we'll just stay there for most of the uh, weekend because and we'll, fi- we'll find we'll find a, a chicken palace for you sean a palais de poulet Oh, of course. They must. 
And London must have the best places in the world, I would hope. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, very good. I suppose that'll wrap us up for this week. Um, so, obviously, it's bye from myself, bye from Sean. Bye. Bye from Roman. Bye. This has been All Four Quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week.